This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Holy happy hour Friday here on the Sports Bash live. 97.3 ESPN is on location today. We are live at the 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic. We'll be weaving notes in and out throughout the day because this is an outstanding event. The 40th Annual Ranch Hope Wranglers Golf Classic presented by Woodruff Energy. We're at the Centerton Golf Club here in Pittsgrove, New Jersey. Ranch Hope is in its 59th year in service to children, youth, and families through an array of community-based services. And this is one of their biggest fundraisers of the year. We couldn't have a happy hour Friday without a couple of brews. And our friends, holy mackerel, thanks to Farmers and Bankers of Woodstown, Farmers and Bankers Brewing, who dropped off a couple of happy hour Friday brewskis. Duva, where's my car? Is what we're starting off with today on a happy hour Friday. It's a hazy IPA 5.03. Farmers and Bankers Brewing made it and they delivered it right here to the table. So I want to thank Farmers and Bankers. Uh, they are a big fan of happy hour Friday. What are you having on your happy hour Friday? Let us know. As always, 609-403-0973. And uh, tell us what you're drinking on a happy hour Friday. And if you do, we got a good prize for you that we're going to tell you a little bit about in just a little bit. Oh, boy, the Sports Bash is live. We are outside. It feels like summer at the Jersey Shore. Uh, there are golfers. The shotgun start started at 1 o'clock. People should be ending uh, their rounds here in just a little bit. What a beautiful course this is at Centerton. But uh, I got this for you to start things off. We are looking at the NBA Finals. We are going to look at some Philly stuff because the Phillies got swept by the Metropolitans. And while I am in agreement with many of the people out there that this team does not look good, very, uh, very good right now, um, I have a really hard time on not uh, how people can't understand the concept of a long baseball season. Like, if people have been sports fans their entire life, especially more recently, haven't we learned by now what happens in April and May and spur, you know, sporadically throughout June isn't necessarily what happens for the rest of the season? And if you put further context to it, wouldn't you be smart enough now to understand that who you are on June 1st is certainly not who you are on October 1st? You could say the Phillies aren't playing very good baseball right now, but have context to it. Add reasons to why they're not playing good, and then ask yourself, do I think these things will continue? The Phillies aren't playing good right now. Trey Turner's hitting under 250. Does that, in your mind, do you believe that that will continue? Because if you do, that would be one reason why you would think this team will not get any better. Trey Turner is hitting, I believe, under 240 right now. I said 250. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. 238 is the number that Trey Turner is hitting. So raise of hands. How many people out there believe that Trey Turner is a 238 hitter? And if you do, then you might be accurate. This team might be up the creek without a paddle. 
How many people out there think that Kyle Schwarber is a 160 hitter? Now, I don't think he's a 260 hitter. He's probably more of a 245 hitter. But 160? Do we think that he will continue to hit 160? Or do we think that, hey, maybe Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber have a hot streak coming in the middle of the summer here? I tend to be on that platform. If you're on the other platform, you probably think this team stinks and is not very good and is probably not going to get any better. There are a lot of reasons why this team isn't very good right now, all of which I probably agree with you. Trey Turner has sucked. Kyle Schwarber has been terrible. Aaron Nola has been poor. Even Zach Wheeler has been above average. Not good, not great, above average. Taiwan Walker has been an issue. He's the guy that they brought in to be the third starter. He has not performed in that role. I think JT Realmuto has been getting a free pass, much like if you remember that he did for most of the first part of last season when he didn't perform all that well. Realmuto has got off to a terrible start this season, but because everybody else has sucked so bad that no one's really pointed the finger at him either. Alec Bohm is now banged up. You've got... Um, issues all over the place with this team. The questions that you have to really ask yourself is how many of these things are fixable. And let's remember, the Phillies don't exist in a vacuum. And what does that mean when someone says, you know, your team doesn't exist in a vacuum? It means there are other crappy teams around you who have issues similar to your issues. Now, that doesn't absolve the fact that you're not very good, but what it does do it allows for a larger margin of error. The larger margin of error allows you to get your bleep together sooner than later or later than sooner, depending on when those teams get their crap together. We talked about this yesterday. You know, the Mets beat you. They are 30 and 27, hardly setting the world on fire. If you're a Mets fan out there, and I know some of the people in the listening audience like the Metropolitans, Go look at Mets Twitter after a game that they play. You want to have a good laugh? Go check out my man Frank the Tank over at Barstool. All right? The world is ending to Mets fans. And yet Phillies fans are like, look at the Mets. They're above us in the standings. You know, the Mets are horrible. They're 30-27, and 27, and the Mets fans uh, think the team stinks, and yet the Phillies fans are dumb enough to sit here and say, we can't beat the Mets or the Braves. Did you beat the Braves or the Mets last year? I don't remember the answer to that question. Oh, no, you didn't. They beat you all regular season long. It was when the playoffs came around that the Mets got knocked out in the first round, and then you beat the Braves. So why do we still continue to match up and use as a litmus test what your team looks like in a May baseball game against a team that's in your division. We've already gone through this. The Mets were better than you last year. That didn't get them anywhere. The Braves were better than you last year, and that didn't get them anywhere. What happens in May stays in May. It's like Vegas. All right, people? You're a sports fan. You're a smart sports fan, many of you out there. But yet many sports fans grasp the concept of sports have changed. The regular seasons now are essentially meaningless operations to get us to what we all care about the most. And yet, we still have an overreaction gene in our um, 
you know, the gene that we have is the overreaction gene that we just can't seem to get past. The other team we talked about the other day is the Padres. They stink, too. Let me ask you a question. Right now, the Pirates are ahead of the Padres. Are they better than the Padres? I have the answer for you. They're not. If I asked you right now, pick a lineup in baseball that you would like to have for the rest of the summer, how many of you, raise of hands, are going to raise your hand for the Mets lineup versus the Padres lineup? I would think that most people in the listening audience today would probably say, I'll take my chances with the Padres lineup, even though they've been horrible. Now, the Phillies do have some issues that they should start to worry about, one of which is this injury problem that just won't go away. The injuries that they have, boom, he's now banged up. Obviously, you have the situation where you haven't had Alvarado, and I don't think not having Alvarado has been a big problem for this team. Like They haven't been blowing saves because Jose Alvarado's not here. But there's a lot of things that have happened to this team, you know, It's like we conveniently forget. We'll use injuries for one team, but we won't use them for the other. You know, unfortunately for the Phillies. How many games do better do we think that Bryce Harper, uh, how many games better do we think the Phillies would be if Bryce Harper didn't miss half the season? Four? Five? And I'm not, I'm just saying two. All right, two. Maybe two, four, six. I have no idea. So if you take a look at how many games Bryce Harper missed, ask yourself, how many games better would the Phillies have been had Bryce Harper been healthy all season long? Okay, now ask yourself, what if Ranger Suarez made all of his starts this year instead of just four of his starts this year? Would this team be any different or maybe not? I don't know the answers to these questions. I think we all think that Ranger Suarez is a pretty good pitcher. I'm not saying he's a Cy Young Award winner. He's probably not an all-star level pitcher, but he's a pretty solid pitcher who gives you a pretty good chance to win every time he's out there. Somebody texts in, hey, the Phillies fired their manager for this start last year. Yeah, they were way deeper in the wild card race than they are right now. They're like three games back. I mean, people are acting like this team is double digits back in the wild card race. Think before you hit the send button. Think before you hit the send button. Why did the Phillies fire their manager last year? Well, they were like 11 games out in the East. They were six and a half games back in the wild card. And, oh, by the way, they fired their manager last year because of other things, not on top of the fact that the team was underperforming. They hired this guy. And this guy took them to the World Series. Here we are less than a year later, and now we're talking about wanting to fire the manager again. You think an overreaction gene hasn't suppressed into your minds at all? Come on, people. 609-403-0973. As the Phillies sit here today, they are three and a half games out of the wild card. All right? When they fired their manager last year, how many games back were they when they fired Joe Girardi from the wild card mix? Look, if we were having this conversation on June 1st and the Phillies were like nine games back in the wild card race, I would be on your side. They're three. Three and a half games back of the wild card. And you're going to tell me, well, they fired the manager for this record last year. Shouldn't I be concerned? No. 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 Why would I be concerned about a team on June 1st that's three games out of the wild card? And by the way, one of the teams that's ahead of them in the wild card 
of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Do I think the Pirates? So if you're telling me I should be concerned about the Phillies, shouldn't I then think the Pirates are for real? Did I back you into a corner? Do you want to tell me the Pirates are for real? I don't think you want to be that dumb. You want to be dumb about sending me texts about other things, but you certainly want to, don't want to be the dumb guy that raises his hand and say, yeah, I agree with you. The Phillies are in trouble, but the Pirates are for real. Of course they're not for real. You think the Pirates are for real? He thinks the Pirates are for real. Well, there's one dumb guy. He's standing in front of me. <laughs> um, that's the thing. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Danny, if you could find that, or Josh, if you could find it. How many games back were the Phillies when they fired Girardi last year? They were five and a half games out of the wild card. So, actually, the second wild card. So, they were two games further back, which is less than I actually would think, which tells you that there was more factors, I think anyway, and I think we've been hearing that, as to why Girardi got fired as opposed to how far they back were back in the standings. Remember, I think there was a lot of underlining things with Girardi's personality that played a role in why they got fired. Not so much, hey, this team is so far out of the race. They fired their manager last year because I think there was a personality problem with this team. That seemed to change the complexion. Now, everybody wants to hit that button every single time. It's like, hey, hit the reset button. My computer's not working. Just hit reset. That'll fix all the problems. It's not a computer. These are humans. The people who are already asking for Rob Thompson to be fired, it's like you can't fire the manager every single time something goes wrong. And listen, one of the problems that's different from last year, people, again, we fired our coach with this start last year. You want to know a big difference? I got one for you. Uh, Bryce Harper wasn't hurt for half the season last year. Reese Hoskins didn't miss the entire season. You guys know these answers. Do I, do I, do I, do I need to give you flashcards for this stuff? Like, we fired our manager for the same thing last year. It wasn't the same thing last year. Bryce Harper didn't miss half the season. Roger Suarez didn't miss half the season. Reese Hoskins wasn't lost for the entire season. And then Reese Hoskins' replacement got hurt. I mean, do I really have to explain these things? Come on, you guys are smarter than this, I thought anyway. And then I keep getting these text messages. And I understand that not everybody thinks before they hit send, but please... This is not the same situation. And by the way, last year, last year, this start, this start, they're better today than they were last year. As bad as they, you think they are now, they're actually better record-wise than they were a year ago. They're three and a half games out of the wild card. At this time last year, they were five and a half games out. Now think about that. They were five and a half back. They ended up winning the wild card and going to the World Series. And yet, they are closer to a playoff spot today than they were at this time last year, and you're more panicky now than you were then. Sometimes the taste of success makes us do dumb things, right? It's like the guy who got the girl that he never thought he could get, and then he turns into a stalker, right? You end up getting a girl you never thought you could get, so you stalk the poor girl because you're like, I know I'm not good enough for this girl, that's the Phillies fan right now. You had a taste of the World Series. You want it back so bad that you've turned into a lunatic because they're three and a half games out of the wild card mix. Like, calm down, everybody. There are other fish in the sea. I get to the point with people where I'm just like, do you even enjoy being a fan? 
Do you like enjoy being a fan? Like, do you get any joy, or is everything just the worst all the time? You know, it's your buddy who says they suck, they suck, they suck. But then he's the first guy that asks if you want to go to Game One of the World Series. It's like, dude, you told me they sucked all season long, and now you want me to spend eight hundred bucks for a ticket to go to the game that you said the team sucked all season long? Get the hell out of my face! This team stinks. This team's horrible. They have no shot. They have no life. Do you watch any of the games? Do you are you noticing that there's a lot of pieces that are missing from this team? Because when I watch this team, I feel like Trey Turner is not performing to the level. I like Trey Turner. I was a fan of the Trey Turner signing. So if I was a fan of the Trey Turner signing like many of you were, wouldn't I be more hopeful that he's going to turn the corner as opposed to saying this team sucks because they have Trey Turner on it? In what world would you say this team stinks because they have Trey Turner? No, you would say this team's ready to turn the corner because they have Trey Turner, right? Part of the reason why they're – and by the way – they're only three and a half games out, and they're playing horrible baseball. So you would think to yourself that most people would say, I can't believe they're only three and a half out playing this bad. They've got to play better than this. And look, if they don't, and if Trey Turner hits 238 all season long, it will be one of the great disappointments of all time. That contract and his batting average right now has to be up there with the Lance Parrish signings of how bad it is as a free agent. But... If we all believe that it's going to be on that level all season long, this is going to be a really, really long season. And I don't see that happening. Although, I will add this caveat. If you remember, and Josh is my witness because he produces my show. Back in March, when I did my Phillies preview, I said this season was not going to be fun. This season was not going to be fun. It was going to be a slosh to the end uh, to the end of the season, but that will end in October. You also said that they probably won't win 90 games. No, I have about 86 wins was my number at the start of the season, and I think 86 or 87. And by the way, I continue to say it's not so much that I think the Phillies are really, really good right now. It's that the National League is really, really bad. But you're right. My number at the beginning of the season was like 87 wins. I thought they would be the third wild card and basically have to go the same route that they did last year. Get in as the third wild card and probably upset somebody in that second round. I mean, I think if you're the second wild card and you play the team from the Central, you know, I don't know that that's a quote-unquote upset if you beat the Brewers or if you beat the Cardinals or whatever team ends up getting in from the Central. But I know what we can do. You know, um, Rob Thompson said it yesterday. You know, the last, what was it, the last four World Series winners were all, like, kind of under 500 at this stage of the season? Yeah, all the previous World Series winners were around 500 around World Day weekend. Yeah. Right. The last four, I think he said, because mm-hmm. it went back to the Washington Nationals. Right. If you looked at that Washington Nationals team in 2019 on June 1st, did anybody in their right mind say, yeah, that team is going to the World Series, let Absolutely alone winning not. the World Series. Absolutely not. Right? Um, you take a look at the team following that, uh, which I believe was what, the Braves? Did they win in? No, 2020 was the Dodgers. That was the, the wonky season. 2021 was the Braves. Correct. So, um, 
Yeah, Rob Thompson said the last three NL champions have had this kind of start. So, yeah, history, the recent history, just like the NBA. The NBA used to be, if you're not the number one seed or at least the number two seed, you were not winning the NBA championship. Well, now that regular seasons have become so devalued, these kind of things are out the window. These teams are just trying to get to the finish line, and once I get into the lottery, you could pull my number. It's like being the worst team in the NBA, you still have the same chance of getting the number one pick as the team that finished the third worst team in the NBA. The lottery odds are all kind of flatlined now. So this team, and by the way, if you listen to, um, I like this text message. This is another uh, text message that obviously doesn't listen very well to our show, maybe has a thought in their mind that they know more than others, but uh, he couldn't manage the pitching staff. What did we learn from our guest Dave Sampson this week on the show, Josh? He said explicitly that the manager doesn't make those decisions. I uh, got another text. His lineups are historically bad in the leadoff spot. What did we learn about lineups um, on this show, Josh? The manager doesn't make the lineup. Right. So if you want to blame somebody about historically bad leadoff lineups, where I don't even know where you would get that. The team went to the World Series with... Yeah, what what exactly quantifies an historically bad lineup? You know what that sounds like to me, Mike? That sounds like somebody who's never watched how pitiful the Oakland A's are this year. <laughs> well, it's the theory of, I wouldn't do it this way. I know more than you do. And because I wouldn't do it this way, the way I would do it would be the right way. Look, I said over and over last year, I don't like Hoskins in the two-hole. They went to the World Series, so I can't sit here and complain about it. I don't love Kyle Schwarber as the leadoff man. They went to the World Series with him hitting leadoff exclusively last year. He hit leadoff the entire season last year. Do I love Schwarber as the leadoff man? I do not like Schwarber as the leadoff man. But last year, I was a proponent of him as the leadoff man because they really didn't have another option. This year, I don't like Schwarber as a leadoff man because they do have another option. They're not using that option. Now, who is that coming from? If you listen to David Sampson on our show the other day, and I think we have that bite for you, Josh, let me know if you have it ready. He told us this week on the show, Rob Thompson does not make the lineup. So if you're not happy with the lineup, if you're not happy with the way the pitching staff is handled, don't blame the manager. Blame the front office. Yeah, here's here's the explanation from Dave Sampson the other day here on the Sports Bash. I promise you that the front office is involved and goes through pre-game what the plan is and how it's going to work. We're with the manager before BP, after BP, right until the manager takes the field for the anthem. Then we're back in the manager's office after the game where we'll talk through what went on during the game that may not have been what we planned for, or maybe the decision was made that was different than what we had spoken about. Or we'll talk about evaluating players who are not executing the way we need them to and talk about whether they need a rest or whether they need to be sent down. We'll talk to managers about all those things, but managers are the ones who really execute the plans that come from the front office. Yes, the managers execute the plans that come from the front office. In other words, who is batting leadoff today? Rob Thompson doesn't decide that. That is decided on before the game by a bunch of people that say, here's your lineup today. So if you don't like the Phillies lineup, don't say so-and-so made a historically bad lineup. Just say, hey, the Phillies front office 
Don't blame the manager, in other words. The Mike, manager has nothing to do with how the lineup is constructed. Really quick, here's some uh, breakdown of the numbers. So the 2018 Dodgers, who went to the World Series, they started 17-30 and 30 before the month of June. The 2019 Nationals were 24-33 and 33 for the month of June. The 2021 Braves were 25-26 and 26 before the month of June. There you go. So what you are on June 1st, Generally, does it mean that's who you are? And if you think this is who they are today and who they will be in October, well, it looks like you're in for a long summer. But if you listen to me and like some of my opinions and think that, hey, man, that Mike Gill's right a lot, I told you this all along. It was not going to be a fun regular season. There's a lot of injuries. They need to keep their head above water to around the 4th of July. And hopefully by that point, the injury issues will be behind them, and some of these guys who have some slow starts will start to turn it on, and you're not too far away. I think if you're within five and a half games, fourth of July, you could be within eight games at the 4th of July, and you could still make a run. Go back and look at the 4th of July. Who was where? Danny, bring up the 4th of July standings from last year, and let's see what they looked like. That's kind of a date, and even that, I think, is kind of far. Look, the Phillies have been in playoff races in September, where they were a game out, and they fell to like 10 games out. You can go from one game out on September 1st to 10 games out on September 30th pretty quickly. It's a long season, people. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. It is happy hour Friday. What do we got to start the show off here? Jeff, a little double happy hour Friday. Enjoying a Tonewood Seaside and enjoying the cash on the butler over six and a half assists last night. Yes, I gave you the Jimmy Butler over six and a half. That hit pretty early in the game. Double happy hour Friday with a Tone Wood Seaside. Uh, I got the Farmer's Duva. Where's my car? I'll tell you why it's called that coming up. All right, it's happy hour Friday. I am live at the 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic at Centered in Golf Club, presented by Woodruff Energy in Pittsgrove, New Jersey. It's all for a great cause. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 232, we're live here at the 40th Annual, 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic, Centered in Golf Club, presented by Woodruff Energy, Centered in Golf Club, Pittsgrove, New Jersey. Remembering Gus, Gus, Gus Gosweller is a um, fellow uh, mentor to many of the people here at um, Ranch Hope, and he began serving on the Ranch Hope Board of Directors in October of 96, and everybody's out here today for a great cause. Uh, they've got uh, the shotgun start started already. They've got great prizes and great things, but uh, it is to raise money for the Ranch Hope. They're doing great things with kids. They're actually trying to. They've got a great facility out there, football field, baseball field, basketball arenas, and they want to try to continue to build sports programs for these kids so that they have things to do out there. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, 609 403 0973. Let's go to some text message. Mike, there's no realistic hope for the Mets. They might sneak in because the wild card is a money grab joke allowing three teams in, but I digress. Um, yeah, that's something that Dave Sampson said on our show the other day.
other day that you know the the wild card has be the, the way the wild card is set up it is allowed teams to get off the slow starts and keep thinking that they're in the race you know we were just looking at the wild card standings on July 4th last year Boston led the wild card last year on July 4th they were two games ahead of everybody else they were the number 1 wild card they did not make the playoffs Seattle was four games out of the wild card altogether and they made the playoffs so on fourth of july seattle was four out and they ended up getting into the playoffs boston was two up on everybody in the wild card and they didn't even make the playoffs so july 4th isn't even really a good barometer of who makes the playoffs and who doesn't make the playoffs so you take a look at that uh 609-403-0973 um, we were talking about what David Sampson said the other day about the lineups and all that kind of stuff. The lineup stuff, as he says it, and I asked him directly, is this just the Marlins when you were there or is this everybody? He cut me right off and said, this is everybody. Now, what he also said was that some managers go off of the script and that that is what ends up getting them fired. When they go off the data points of what they are being told to do ahead of time. And that is what ends up getting a manager fired when they do not take the directive that they are given. And that is the difference between a guy like Joe Girardi. He wasn't on board with what the the directives were, and they ended up getting rid of him. Rob Thompson takes over, and quite frankly... Some of the things were different in Rob Thompson. He played some younger players, um, you know, and managed the game differently. Maybe Girardi was not listening to the way that they wanted them to manage the game, and Rob Thompson was. Now, this year, it's a whole different script. Why? Well, you didn't have Bryce Harper for half the season, right? You don't have Reese Hoskins now. You know, people forget. Maybe I have to remind you. Reese Hoskins hit 30 home runs last year. You know who else hit 30 home runs last year? Bryce Harper. You had 60 home runs or somewhere around there not in your lineup for 25 games this season. So you're playing 25 games of your season so far without two of the biggest bats in your lineup. Your number two hole hitter from last year, who I believe was probably going to hit number four this year, and your number three hole hitter who was out for half the season. So, of course, your team was going to struggle in the first month of the season that's going to put you behind the eight ball. You didn't think they were just going to roll Bryce Harper back into the middle of the lineup that all of a sudden, voila, things were going to be fixed. I mean, there's other issues on this team. And right now, I think I actually can't believe I'm saying this because I'm not the biggest Reese Hoskins fan and I think I'm not the biggest Reese Hoskins fan for two reasons. One, I didn't like him hitting in the two-hole, well-documented by me. I don't mind Reese Hoskins at all if he's hitting in the middle of my lineup. If you want to hit him in the four-hole or the five-hole, I have no problem with Reese Hoskins being on this team. I became highly frustrated because, number one, in my heart of hearts as a baseball fan, I am a defensive-minded guy because I pitch. As a pitcher, I cannot accept that defense at first base. So I am probably overly critical of Reese Hoskins as a player because he is so lousy as a defensive player. So I acknowledge that. Like, there may be some 
extra bias towards him as a player because I think he's so bad defensively. As a hitter, I don't have as big a problem with him. I just didn't like his spot in the order. And listen, you want to talk about analytics and who makes the lineup? Gabe Kapler hit Reese Hoskins where? Two. Joe Girardi hit Reese Hoskins two. And now Rob Thompson took over the team, and he hit him too. Do you think all three managers really thought that Reese Hoskins was a two-hole hitter? Or do you think that maybe that's where they were being told to hit Reese Hoskins? Think about it. I was just going to say, I think that people just don't want to accept, Mike, that the people who are making the decisions are like a shadow council. They don't want to accept that the person who is making the lineup and putting a lot of these things in motion is somebody who they never see on game day. Uh, Tom from the Villa says, if people listen to your show on Friday, they would know that firing the manager won't make a difference. The decisions made by upper management would still be the same. I think the Reese Hoskins thing is the best example. He hit two for three different managers, and every single time we all said, I don't like him hitting the number two spot in the order. Well, obviously, somebody in that front office, and I'm beginning to think it's Sam Fold, is the, where did they get Sam Fold from? Tampa Bay, right? Yep. He was in the Tampa Bay organization, which is known for what? Analytics. Their analytics department. They don't have more talent than you. They're just smarter than you. And it's hard for an old-school baseball guy who really thinks he knows a lot about baseball to come to terms with the Tampa Bay Razor. They are outperforming all the old-school baseball guys, and they're doing it in a way that we just don't want to accept. I don't love it either, but I'm not dumb enough to say I like what the Rays are. (laughs) The Rays are pretty damn good, and they're doing it with guys that nobody's ever heard of. And guess what? Something tells me if Reese Hoskins was on Tampa Bay, he'd probably hit number two in their lineup. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. You've got plenty of Philly stuff this weekend because the Nationals are in town. This is not a good baseball team. If you want to see the Phillies start to turn the corner, you got to make some headway against the Nationals and then Detroit. See if they can get like four out of five here or five out of six. Get themselves. I say this. About the 4th of July, you just got to be within like five games of 500. Just hang around 500 and get to the all-star break. Hopefully you start to get healthy. And then at least Dombrowski can start to evaluate what he has and say, all right, I know I, def- I, I did read that the Phillies were linked to Marcus Stroman. Uh, that would be a huge offering. Here's the problem. you got to give up a pretty big pitcher, I would imagine, or a big name uh, minor league prospect to get Marcus Stroman. But he's having a tremendous year. But because you whiffed so bad so far on Taiwan Walker, you might have to go get a guy like Stroman to now become the Walker. And then Walker bounces down the chain a little bit, maybe to like the fourth or fifth spot. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We're at the 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic, Saturn and Golf Club. And it's a great event. It's um, one of those things where we are just honored that they asked us to be here. She's got some food. And uh, we've got beer. Farmers and Bankers brought me a Duva Where's My Car, among others, by the way, for Happy Hour Friday. Happy Hour Friday out on the golf course beautiful thing. We got more Sports Bash coming up. Your text messages keep on coming. 609-403-0973. Thank you to 
uh, all the people here at Rancho for bringing the Sports Bash out here and our uh, listeners out here. And by the way, we are in Salem County. I don't know that we've ever done the show live in Salem County before. All right, coming up on the other side, we'll do uh, a little bit more on this uh, Rancho Golf Classic. We've got a busy show. Bob Wankel at three. Dave Gallagher going to talk some Phillies to us at four. Dave played for the Phillies. He was a nine-year Major League veteran. When is it too late in the baseball season to think a Trey Turner can change or a Kyle Schwarber can change? We'll ask Dave Gallagher, who played with guys who've gone through all sorts of slumps tonight at 5 o'clock. Jimmy Lynham today at 4.30 to talk about Nick Nurse. And Paul Hudrick tonight at 5.30. More Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. All right, we're back here live. This is the 40th Annual Rancho Golf Classic at Centered and Golf Club, presented by Woodruff Energy. John Salvatore is the Communications and Marketing Director uh, for Ranch Hope, and uh, man, he's been kind enough to kind of hang around the table, listen to me rant, listen to your nonsensical text messages, but we're all out here for a really fun day and a great cause, and I am just honored that you guys asked me to be here, and I'm happy that Farmers and Bankers brought me Happy Hour Friday Brews here, but tell everybody what's going on, and uh, this is the 40th event here. This is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, Mike, thank you so much. Uh, we are so excited to have you out here at the 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic. Uh, of course, we're at Centerton Golf Course right here in Pittsgrove, New Jersey, like you've been talking about throughout the show. Uh, we do want to mention um, a few of our sponsors, but before I, I do that, Mike, I want to tell you about Ranch Hope. Ranch Hope has been serving the community for 59 years, not too long ago. Uh, in the beginning of May, we celebrated 59 years. And we are a residential treatment facility for youth from across the state of New Jersey, not just our area, the whole state. Our youth have experienced trauma, and we provide community-based treatment services. Uh, Ranch Hope is a place for second chances for our youth, and we have youth there from ages 12 to 18, and they are with us for about 9 to 12 months, Mike. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned uh, that they do stuff for kids. I was talking beforehand, right before the break. You guys have great facilities, baseball, basketball, football, that allows these kids to pick up a basketball. Some guys who have never played the game before can pick up a basketball and, and play in the gym. You have a football field that has like a full league. You know, the Eagles play the Packers, and, and you play flag football out there. Absolutely. We have an amazing campus. We're in Alloway, New Jersey, and uh, like you said, we have all those facilities. We also have a school on campus, and the youth, they live on campus, so we have housing for the youth. Uh, it's, it's a serene place when you go to Ranch Hope. I, I invite you to come out sometime, Mike, to check it out because it is so peaceful. Just being out there, it's, it's nice and quiet. Yeah, I know, um, you, you know, I coach youth sports, so this is something when they would ask me to be a part of it, I said, this is great, right up my alley. I love, and this event is to help, you know, these kids get more activities. Absolutely, yeah. So funds from the Golf Classic today, uh, we are going to be improving our, our sporting facility. So uh, we want to be able to have night games, right? So we are going to need lights for that. Uh, just one of the many things in the upgrades that we're going to be doing for the athletics. And to get that done, this tournament is on. But to get there, you've also had a ton of sponsors help. I mean, it's not just people playing golf. There are people from all over this region that are helping to get these kids. And those people should be recognized because, again, Ranch Hope is for 
for uh, these youth that are looking for second chances, and for a variety of reasons. Absolutely. And, and Mike, I have a list here that's too long to go through, but I just want to mention some of our top sponsors. Of course, our presenting sponsor is Woodruff Energy. Our Blue Tea sponsors are Atlantic City Electric, PSENG Nuclear, and Mannington Flooring. And um, and then, of course, our hats are sponsored by Comtech Systems. So uh, there are so many others that, that uh, supported us today, um, and we thank all of the sponsors here for the Rancho Golf Classic. Yeah, you mentioned uh, it's youth uh, who've experienced trauma, place for second chances. These are kids who are between the ages of 12 and 18, generally, correct? Yep. So these are like right before high school age till right till they're getting finished high school. And then, like you said, a variety of reasons why they end up here, but... But um, you give them these op- opportunities, and they stay here for an average of about a year, correct? Yep, nine to twelve months. They're on the campus, and, and they're going through the program, and uh, and, uh, and and you know it's a second chance for them, Mike. Yeah, um, donations ranchhope.org and I'll tell you uh, there's a lot of great things going on here. In fact, the LPGA is here next weekend uh, but you have a pro that is out here today yes. uh, on the golf course here that uh, some of the people who are participating in the in the uh, golf event have a chance to meet and play with. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a pro uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, ask Elizabeth. It's Luisa, right? And she's from Brazil. Yep, she's the number one player. Yes, in Brazil. from Brazil. So uh, so we have a beat the pro. Uh, we also have some hole in one contests. So you can win a ten thousand dollar prize from Bobbit Auto. Uh, we also have another hole in one for a five thousand dollar gift certificate uh, for Don Darrow's jewelry in Vineland. So lots of uh, adventures. We have a putting contest. There's there's so much uh, so many fun things happening on the course today. Yes, and uh, also on the back of the uh, flyer here it says remembering Gus. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Gus? Because the hats say it as well. I got one of those great hats. Yes. And right on the back, it says remembering Gus. Yeah, so Gus was a member of the Wranglers Auxiliary uh, for over 25 years. He was the chairperson, and he was the inspiration, Mike, behind this annual golf outing. And during his tenure, he helped raise over $500,000 here at this golf classic. So an amazing person and, and an inspiration to this tournament. All right. Well, John Salvatore is the communications and marketing uh, director for Ranch Hope. And again, if you want to donate or learn more, go to ranchhope.org. Uh, again, this is the 40th event, right? 40th event here. Uh, we are at the Centered in Golf Club today. They went off at 1 o'clock. Uh, so many people are kind of, you know, in the middle of this now. It's around 3-ish, so they'll be getting done here soon. Uh, the beginners, eh, maybe We've about two a, more hours. About 150. We'll say how many golfers, golfers right? Yeah, 156. Uh, we're registered for today, so we're thinking maybe like six or seven. We're right. trying to be optimistic. That's good. All right, <laughs> and then dinner after they're heading over to uh, what's this? The ten twenty two tavern over there. Yeah, there's ten twenty two here. They've just brought they you just some brought food. us a bunch of food. And then the Grove at Centerton, we have a banquet afterwards, a whole dinner, award ceremony. We've got some really cool awards that we're going to be giving out to the players as well. Very cool. All right, John. Well, thanks for having me out here. It Thank is you a for blast coming. to be here. And uh, to be able to support an event like this right up my alley, so I appreciate it. Again, I want to mention uh, ranchhope.org for donations for the people uh, out there listening who are saying, hey, that's a great idea and a great cause. Uh, I want to donate towards that. You can do that at ranchhope.org. Uh, John, appreciate it, man. Thank you very much, Mike. All right, more Sports Bash here. We've got uh, plenty more coming up at 3 o'clock today. Uh, Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad. We're going to get into the Phillies with Bob because you know, you guys know from our conversations with Bob, Bob does not pull back the punches, right? He does not hold back the punches on what he thinks about this team. Is Bob ready to get into 
panic mode? Is he ready to hit that button and say, you know what? I do think Trey Turner's in trouble. I do think Kyle Schwarber is in trouble. I do think Aaron Nola is in trouble. I do think that the injuries are going to be too much to overcome. They are three and a half games out of the wild card. And how much does he put on, you know, we talk about the manager. And and I'm not a big blame the manager guy. Uh, We talked to David Sampson this week. He kind of, um, you know, added to me not blaming the manager all that much. But doesn't mean you can't blame the organizational philosophy. Is the organization not looking at this team through the right lens? You know, I don't love the batting lineup for this team. I'm not a big fan of some of the things they're doing. I, I say that while also recognizing the injuries, and I've been mentioning this a lot, how left-handed this team is, I think really hurts the man. It hurts the way they, ha- they stack this lineup. And with Bryce Harper being left-handed and him being the centerpiece of your lineup, you've got to kind of build around him. And by building around Bryce Harper as the number three hole hitter, I think that has prevented them from wanting to put Trey Turner in the leadoff spot as a right-handed bat. So what are some of the fixes this team has right in front of them? And what are some of the fixes that this team, you know, would like to make but just can't right now? Uh, I got updated World Series odds just to kind of give you a little inclination on what Vegas thinks of the Phillies. On... December 7th, they were 10 to 1, which, by the way, was not the favorite. Right now, on June 2nd, the Phillies are 33 to 1 to win the World Series. 33 to 1. They were 10 to 1. On March 29th, they were 18 to 1. On May 1st, they were 28 to 1. And now today they are 33 to 1. So they keep kind of creeping in the wrong direction. It's funny, when Vegas says so and so is going to sign with the Sixers, nobody wants to listen to it. But when they think the Phillies stink, they'll say, see, even Vegas thinks they stink. <laughs> Just what it's like to be a fan, man. I love it. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Matt says he's got an all-day IPA. Ice cold all day for happy hour Friday. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after 3 on a Sports Bash happy hour Friday. Yes, what are you having on a Friday I'll tell you, we started the Friday off right. We've got the Farmers and Bankers brought us out a six or actually a four, 16 ounces. Uh, Duba, where's my car is the name of the beer. It is a, uh, let's see, it's a hazy IPA brewed with two row barley, red wheat, Vienna malts. I like it. 35 IBU, 5.3. It's right up my alley. I haven't tried it yet. It is Friday. I'm working. And I won't, uh, I have to drive home from here too, so I'll have to wait till I get home, but, uh, Bob Wankel crossing broad. Phillies are currently 33 to 1 by Vegas odds to win the World Series, and, uh, they started the year at 10 to 1, so they are dropping like a stone, Bob Wankel. Happy hour Friday to you, my friend. How are you? 
Now, listen, if you're going to be out on remote getting beer delivered over there, doing that whole deal, I'll, I'll come out there for, with you. You know, I'll, I'll take a drive down on a Friday, do a little happy hour see, Friday. You should see the uh, the meal that was just brought by the uh, 1022 Tavern over here. I mean, just a brisket sandwich the size of your head, man. It's, it's uh, a beautiful it's a Friday. thing. Um, so the panic button feels like it's starting to get pushed by a lot of Phillies fans. They are three and a half back of the wild card. They uh, Record-wise, they are better than they were last year. But it seems like a lot of people feel like saying last year was different. Is that is it fair to stop looking back to last year and saying, well, they did this and they did that and they did this? Is this team just not last year's team? Yeah, I mean, you hear it said all the time that every year is different. And I do think that you have to acknowledge what happened last season and that this group of players, this core, was able to get themselves up off the mat, make a run, get to the World Series. But at this point, based on what we've seen this season, there's really not a lot to latch on to as a fan. And and let me just say one other thing. The, the, the product has been just dreadful to watch it's been it's been a boring watch and I think the biggest thing that's different is we know that this team has been inconsistent in previous seasons but you look at them right now just to kind of put into context what they're going through and you're talking about 4.11 runs scored per game they're 24th in major league baseball and runs scored per game right now they're 11 and 21 on the road there's only four teams in baseball that have lost more road games this season than the Phillies I mean for a veteran team that experienced the level of success that they did a season ago to come out and be this bad through two months is, is, is it, it's disappointing to state the obvious. Uh, listen, I can't argue with that. I can sit here and say, I don't think this team has been very good. I don't think right now it's a very good baseball team when you have to possibly play Drew. What's his name? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, that's, that's where they're at right now. There's a lot of what's his names. I mean, you, you think about where they'd be without Cody Clemens. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the, the contributions that he's made. Yeah. So. Well, my point, that, my that point on that fun. was, <laughs> my point on that was, I can say, I don't think they've played very well. Right now, today, I don't think they're a very good baseball team. But what are the reasons why they're here? Okay. Do I think Trey Turner is going to hit 238 all season? Are we starting to think that that's what you paid for? A guy who's been pretty much a 300 hitter throughout his career. Is he now all of a sudden a 230? So like, if we start with the reasons why they're here, Trey Turner 238. Do you believe that that will be, will stay in that? Will he be a 250 hitter this year? I mean, conventional wisdom would tell you that a player with his track record that is arguably one of the 30 best players in Major League Baseball, a player who many people thought was going to be one of the top three to five finishers in the MVP race this year, you would think, like, if you are if you know baseball and you don't live and die by every every game, every pitch, every inning, you'd say when it's all said and done, he's going to be more like the player that we thought we were going to see than the one that he is right now. But you go back to last Wednesday and everyone keeps saying, like, is this the swing? Is this the moment that's going to kind of revive his season? He hits the home run against Arizona last Wednesday. And then now you have this seven-game stretch against the Braves and Mets. Maybe this gets Trey Turner going. He goes four for 29 on that road trip with one walk. On-base percentage under 200. Hits 138 against the Phillies' two closest division rivals. you know, it's it's getting later now. It's not April anymore. It's it's not the first week of May. It's June, and he does need to play better. I my guess is that he will, 
But I'm not basing that on anything that I've seen in 2023. I'm basing it on what I've seen the previous six seasons. Which is fair. Um, And I would totally agree with that. There's nothing we've seen in this particular season. There's been no streak, not a week, not a few games that would say, here he comes. Uh, 238, not good. If he hits 238 or so the rest of the year, yeah, this team's not making the playoffs. Uh, Kyle Schorber, 160. Any thoughts that that's going to even tick up near 200? You've probably heard it been said now a few times. uh, You know, he had 10 hits in the month of May. Seven of them were home runs. So I guess credit to him for making the the hits that he did get count. But, I mean, 160 is 160. And and I know it's 2023. And I know that batting average is not the end-all, be-all the way it used to be in in previous eras. But there's a line where – it, it matters to an extent, and 160 is, is far below it. Uh, His on-base percentage is actually better than Turner's. It is, uh, because he has managed to walk a little bit. And again, this past road trip, this is supposed to be kind of a, a checkpoint road trip for this for this Phillies team, and he went two for 23 on it. Um, so he really struggled as well. But again, he has maintained some ability to at least work walks and find his way on base. So the overall numbers, I don't know what Kyle Schwarber truly is. If you said to me right now over under 40 home runs, I would I would probably take the over again. Um, if you said to me over under 185 batting average, that I'm not so sure about. You know, the, the thing is, 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 his average is so poor and it's so low right now that if he just has one week where he hits 400 plus, he's going to jack that average up by probably 25, 25 to 35 points. So... That, that is the one thing that you can kind of latch on to with Kyle Schwarber at this point. I, I think he's a, a heck of a leader. I think that his contributions a season ago were invaluable. I think he's really the biggest difference as to why they were able to push through those late-season stumbles versus just falling apart again. But he has not been good enough. Uh, Bob Wankel crossing broad. He has not been good enough is, is an understatement. I think he has been uh, – because he hits where he does in the lineup, too. I mean, he's in spots so many times last night with the game on the line. I mean, you have a guy on base, and, you know, he strikes out looking, and it's a 3-2 pitch, and it's a close pitch. I get it. But, like, hey, foul that thing off and live to fight another pitch. Um uh, obviously, I, I want to go to Real Muto because I feel like he kind of gets absolved in all this because his average is, like, decent. Um, but I feel like he has just been completely invisible. I say that with the caveat that I thought he stunk in the first half of last year, too, and he really got going once Harper got hurt. Absolutely. That was the line uh, where everything changed for him last season. He was a pretty bad baseball player through the first half of June. And then, you know, Bryce Harper gets hurt. He starts to figure it out. He really helped kind of carry the Phillies through the middle of the summer. JT Realmuto has not hit a home run since April 30th. He was two for 20 on this most recent road trip. So he's going to span of 81 at bats now without a home run. They need more from him. And I think that that's the thing that is so, um, I guess mystifying, if, if that's the word, that you look at what they've done here this season from an offensive standpoint. I know they have other concerns, defensive concerns, starting pitching concerns, but you just did not expect a lineup that featured Kyle Schwarber, a, a bounce back, Nick Castellanos, uh, JT Romuto, Trey Turner t- to be a bottom, a bottom five bottom six offense in terms of run production it's just it's hard to wrap your head around it but you're right when you're going through the power rankings of who do you blame for this offense struggling the way that it has i think you've named the top three yeah and listen um 
I'm not a huge I, – I, and I understand, I think – see if you agree with me here. And we can talk until the cows come on on who puts this lineup together, why they do it the way they do. Um, because Harper hits left-handed and this lineup is so left-handed, do you think that's why they have to hit Turner too? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that what they're feeling is, well – not only is this what we paid Trey Turner to do to be a top-of-the-order threat, but when you look at the production from the other options, and, and Alec Bone was probably the guy that I would have told you most recently made sense to maybe try in that two-spot ahead of Bryce Harper, but now he's on the injured list. So the question kind of becomes, what do you do? What is the, what is the switch up here? Because yeah. there's no obvious solution. Nobody's hot. Nobody's hitting. Certainly not from the right side even. So I do wonder though, if it just gets to a point where it's not one week, two weeks, one bad stretch. It's been two months of pretty ineffective offense on a game to game basis. Sometimes even though there's not an obvious fix or an obvious solution, you almost, I think, are reaching the point where you just have to jumble and shake things up for the sake of jumbling and shaking things up and, and hope that that kind of jolts them a little bit. Yeah, and I, I asked that, like, you know, yesterday, for instance, okay? And I know Turner didn't hit leadoff yesterday, but that's – yesterday was the, the, the map of what you hoped. He let off the game, his speed stole a base, and that you had action constantly. He ended up stealing third yesterday instead of second, but they double steal. He's on third. The throw goes in the outfield. He gets up. He scores. Uh, Harper goes to third. They hit a flat, and now they have two runs. And then they didn't do anything after that. But the thought of having Turner at that top of the lineup, getting on base, and then his action moving, you have the left-hander hitting behind him with a hole on the right side. I mean, it just seems him hitting in the two-hole, it's kind of because you have Harper hitting three, and you're right, they don't have a right-handed bat that, that has any power whatsoever. And that kind of negates the parts. And this is where not having... Hoskins has really come into play because I'm not a big Hoskins guy in the two hole. And I laugh about this because I don't know. I've had David Sampson on the show who used to be the president of the Marlins and he was on the other day. And I asked him about Rob Thompson being, you know, there's people that don't, you know, he said, I'm going to stop you right there. Rob Thompson has nothing to do with this lineup. You know, he comes in in the middle of the day and he gets handed a lineup and they tell him, this is the lineup today. We talk in the middle of the day, before the game, after the national anthem, and that's the lineup. And I said, you know what? It makes more sense that that's how it happens because Gabe Kapler hit Hoskins 2, Girardi hit Hoskins 2, Thompson hit Thompson 2. I can't think that all three of those guys think that he was the best option for the number two spot in the order. But I digress because on this team, I think he would have been hitting number four, and they're missing him. They sure are. Um, they they lack power. They lack right-handed production. They certainly lack right-handed power. They lack his on-base skills. And there's been a trickle-down effect. You look at what they've had to play at first base, they get absolutely no power production whatsoever out of their, their corner infielders. And that's not I'm not criticizing any one player. I'm not sitting here telling you that Edmundo Sosa is why the Phillies' offense isn't isn't doing what it needs to do, or that Cody Clemens is the problem, or that Alec Bohm in in particular is the problem. But they just get no power from their corner infield spots, and and so Hoskins not being there is a killer. And 
I've said it before. This is not a new, I don't think this is a new perspective, but not only is it that he's absent from this lineup, it's that when he got hurt, they had no time to react to it. They had no time to fix that absence. You know, he goes down the week before the season starts. You're not going to be able to make a trade, a meaningful move to, to replace that type of production. So it's been a killer. I knew it was going to hurt them. I'm stunned to the degree it has hurt them. I yeah. thought that they had more depth, a little bit more versatility, and a little bit more resolve to deal with that injury, and they have not shown that ability. Well, and it doesn't hurt as the replacement got hurt. I mean, because let's say Derek Hall, who the problem with Hall was he also hit left-handed, and at least, though, was a guy that could put the ball over the fence. Now you've lost Hall, his ability to hit the ball over the fence. Even when he is back, where do you hit another left-handed bat in this lineup? I mean, realistically, if Hall comes back, and let's say this guy can rake and hit you 20 home runs between now and the end of the season, where does he even fit? Where do you fit another left? I mean, obviously, he would take the Clements at bats, but Clements has been the one guy who's produced for you. Yeah, I mean, Rob Thompson was asked about Derek Hall, I believe, early last week, and he had said, listen, we're going to send him out on a on a rehab assignment, and he's going to have to hit his way back onto the roster. Like, it wasn't even a foregone conclusion that once Derek Hall comes back, this, this power-starved lineup, this lineup that really needs a spark from a guy who also, by the way, gave them one last summer, Here's Rob Thompson saying, like, wait, 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 pump the brakes here. He's got to show that he belongs up here Mm -hmm. because we're not convinced of that. And I think that that's fairly telling. So I don't know that Derek Hall comes back and he's plugged in as your cleanup hitter all of a sudden. I think there's a lot to kind of get figured out there. Uh, Bob Wankel crossing broad. On top of that, you are three games, three and a half games out of a wild card berth and floating around 500 in part because Bryson Stott, Nick Castellanos, uh, Brandon Marsh got off to such great starts. Where are those guys at June 1st? Yeah, I think that Bryson Stott certainly went through it a little bit uh, when you date back to the beginning of May through the middle of May, but I think he's sort of recovered. Uh, I know that he got off to such a good start. He was flirting with 400 for a while. He's not that hitter. He's, he's just not that hitter. There's very few guys in baseball that are going to hit in the mid-300s for you. So to see some regression from him I don't think is all that surprising. And I think that he's done a nice job sort of stabilizing himself. He, he A couple bad weeks haven't turned into five bad weeks, six bad weeks. So I, I still think that overall you feel good about Bryson Stott's progress. Is he a prototypical leadoff guy? No. Does he walk enough? No. But again, because of the way that this Phillies lineup is kind of constructed and some of the depth issues that they've had, certain guys that they expected to do things haven't. Here he is hitting leadoff night in, night out. And, and I don't think that's ideal, but I don't think that that's Bryson Stott's fault either. I think the Phillies overall have to be pretty pleased what they've gotten from him. Yeah. As far as Nick Castellanos goes, same thing. There was some regression there at different points in May. He's still not driving the ball as consistently as I'd like him to. I still think that this should be a 25 home run guy. He's not tracking that pace right now. But again, he hit against the Mets this week. He's been one guy that's been fairly consistent for a very, very inconsistent team. I think you still feel good about that. And Brandon Marsh, you know, same thing. You know, I don't I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but again, got out to a great start, experienced some regression. I think that he's still feeling his way through it, uh, but he's been fine. Those three guys are certainly not what ails this team uh, by any stretch. Yeah, um, what does ail this team maybe is the pitching then. If those guys aren't the problem, how about the pitching? Where is this pitching staff, uh, in your mind, headed? Uh, we know it hasn't been good, but are there signs – that the pieces are turning the corner or are there more questions than answers at June one? 
Well, you really liked what you saw from Zach Wheeler last week against the Braves. He single-handedly won the Phillies that game uh, and averted a situation in which they would have lost three out of four in Atlanta. So you feel good about that. Aaron Nola, you still don't know what you're getting start to start. The velocity's down. The velocity's up. He looks good at times. Then he loses his command. Then he gets hurt with a pitch in the middle of the plate. He's just not been he's not been Aaron Nola this year. Uh, in fact, Aaron Nola has given the Phillies what I thought Taiwan Walker was going to give the Phillies. And so then when you look at Taiwan Walker, you know, again, ERA in the mid fives, he's not even averaging five innings per start. Six of his 12 starts, he's failed to complete five innings. He had gotten a little bit better during the month of May, and then he goes out yesterday and only lasts four innings. The velocity's down, and you're almost expecting to hear that he's going on the IL or, or that there's going to be an injury. And he says, no, I just didn't have it today. And Rob Thompson says, yeah, he, just, he wasn't himself. He didn't have it today. And it's just head-scratching. You say, how, did, how does this guy not have it? He's supposed to be the middle of rotation starter, a veteran pitcher, in a, a massive game for a team that desperately needs a win. And he gives against him four his innings. Team. Against his old against team. Against his former team. Like, have some pride. So, yeah. uh, man, it's, it's a head-scratcher for sure. So, yeah, I mean, they're 25th in starter ERA right now. Uh, I know that they, they weren't expecting to have a top 10 rotation, top 5 rotation, but I think that, that this is crazy. You know, talking about being one of the five, six worst rotations in all of baseball – through about 60 games, I think is a surprise even to the the biggest pessimist at this point. Yeah, and we know that, um, look, you know, this team was built in the offseason to compete now. And we may have discussed this a week ago, but if you're listening for trades, I know uh, people looking around and saying, well, you got to try to do this, you got to try to do that. This is a team that didn't want to have to make in-season trades by moving younger prospects. They want those younger prospects to be around so they don't have to pay the older guys. And that this team is veterans win now. Young guys take their place and hopefully don't skip a beat, not trade these guys out because your veteran players aren't performing. So making trades seems like it's going to be a really tough decision for Dave Dombrowski. Do I want to try to improve what appears right now to be a mediocre injury-laden team. Yeah, well, fortunately for Dave Dombrowski, he has some time to figure this out because you're not going to engage another team in a trade of significance during the first or second week of June. So I think at earliest, before they do any type of truly meaningful trade, you're talking end of end of June, optimistically, probably more so well into July. So the Phillies are going to dictate I think the urgency with which Dave Dombrowski needs to move here. So I think that that's the, the biggest thing that needs to be said, but you're right. They've done, they've done some good work here to make this system, the minor league levels take a little bit of a leap because it's been so dreadful for so long. They're finally starting to get out of that bottom five, bottom 10 farm system in terms of the overall rankings. And now this doesn't look like a team that needs a fifth starter or a, a, a bench bat. It looks like a team that needs a true difference-making piece. And in order to get true difference-making pieces, you're going to have to give away prospects that hurt. So I would be stunned. This team needs another starting pitcher. They're not going to be able to do it without mentioning names like McGarry, without mentioning names like Mick Abel. Those are going to be the, the, the openers of these conversations. Yeah, um, that would be like a Marcus Stroman conversation. And I would imagine that the Cubs would be more than willing to take your call because they took a pitcher from you last year for uh, basically nothing. Um, ben Brown, who's pitching pretty well for them. David Robertson is in New York pitching for the Mets now. Um it could be one of those things, too, Bob, where, hey, if we're afloat, 
by 4th of July, we get Painter. We can slip him into the conversation. Hopefully Suarez has turned the corner. He's only pitched in four games. One looked pretty good. That Wheeler, you know, Wheeler got off to a really slow start last year, and then he kind of really hit the, you know, uh, that next level. It seems like maybe he's hit that spot, and, you know, they can kind of keep their head up. But the problem almost goes back to the offense then. Okay, even if the pitching comes around, they're not scoring, they're, they're not scoring all that much. So I'll ask you, um, do you look at this offense and just say you have to be patient and wait? Or is there something in your mind on how you would restock the deck? Well, I, I think uh, it's it's probably both. Uh, not to not to kind of uh, sidestep the question, but th- you're married to this. This is you're, you're married to the catcher. You're married to the shortstop. You're married to the left fielder. They're, these are the guys that are going to have to figure it out. Um, but in terms of what can you do other than cross your fingers and hope that their career track records sort of take over and they become the players you expect them to be. You know, you look at this lineup and everybody talks about, well, who do you hit lead off and how do you change the bottom of the order and, and what do you do? And, and I guess the question that, that I think is fair to, to, to kind of posit at this point is why are the Phillies so married to Bryce Harper in the three spot? And, and I think that the answer to that, at least in part, is because Bryce Harper wants to hit third. And I think that this is a situation which the, that they have to sort of stop deferring to the player and try to reconfigure what they have, try to break apart the puzzle pieces here and restack them. And for me, when you talk about Bryce Harper, I know that he's a run producer. I know that in an ideal world, you would have him hit third, fourth. I think the Phillies should take a long and hard look, and, and I can't take credit for this. My podcast partner, Anthony Sanfilippo, has been banging this drum now for, for about five weeks. Uh, as soon as Bryce Harper came back, really, or right before he came back, I should say, why not try him in a leadoff spot? Why not build a, a lineup that starts with a player that you know can consistently get on base? And you can sit here and say, well, no, you got to have him two, three, four. Those were your best hitters. That's where you hit them. But if you're getting historically poor production from the top of your order, don't you have to take a drastic measure to try to offset some of that? And and that is something that I think that they've tried to avoid at all costs. But I think we're reaching a point here where there should be no option that they don't consider. Yeah, um, that would be interesting to see if they went down that route. I like a... And before they went that drastic, I I would like to see them give Turner a good run there. Turner, Bohm, Harper, Castellanos, Schwarber, Real Muto, uh, or something where depending on if it's a lefty or righty, maybe Stott six, Real Muto seven, Marsh eight. So you're essentially going left, right, almost all the way through the lineup there. But Turner, Bohm, Harper. They would be my three to, to try yeah, to. They, just, they need to get Bohm back. I mean, they, you know, that's the thing. How long is Alec Bohm going to be out? Is yeah. it going to be two weeks? Is it going to be four weeks? Right. Uh, that's one of those hold your breath deals as well. Yeah, hamstring so. issue there. Um, you know, a lot of talk. Uh, should they go get a right-handed? Uh, you know, Crone's name's been brought up. I know Aguilar looked like he got designated for assignment. I, I wrote the piece the other day about Aguilar, and people seem to be like, "This team needs pitching. Clements is fine." I said. I'm not asking for them not to get pitching, but they need a right-handed bat somewhere yeah. that can hit the ball over the fence. I don't care if it was Dave Kingman hitting 120. <laughs> he needs to be able to hit the ball so you over want, the fence. You want right-handed Kyle Schwerber, then, is what you're telling me. Hey, at this point, you almost have to have him, do you I not? Know. I, I know. I, and I, listen, I'm with you. Bob, we haven't discussed in this entire conversation losing Alvarado, who might have been the best arm in, in Major League Baseball 
And I don't know that that's hurt them. I mean, the bullpen is still kind of hung in there. It's it's funny that you bring this up. When you look at a team that's six games under 500, they they've gone through these prolonged losing stretches, you would think that there would be several games that have been blown up by the bullpen, that obviously the bullpen has is, is probably let them down a considerable amount of times. There have been three games this season that the Phillies have failed to protect the lead of less than three runs in the seventh inning or later. And what I mean by that is I don't mean the games where they get up eight to one and they're trying to hold a lead, an eight to two, 10 to one lead. I'm talking about a lead of three runs or less in the seventh inning or later. They've only failed to hold one of those leads and then have eventually lost the game three times. It happened against the Dodgers when Max Muncy hit the grand slam off of Kimbrell. It happened on Father's Day against the Reds and it happened a couple days later against the Marlins. The bullpen has not been the issue with this team. And in fact, if I were somewhat optimistic moving forward about the Phillies and their chances, it's that if this offense starts putting the bullpen in position to protect leads late, I think they'll do it. But mm-hmm. they're just not getting an opportunity. Which is the exact opposite of where they were the previous three years, where they blew a safe every other night of the week uh, and and couldn't get out of their own way there. So now they can protect saves. Uh, they don't have any opportunities. Then they couldn't save games, and they had opportunities every night of the week. Bob Wankel, Crossing Broad, Happy Hour Friday. I know you've got uh, daddy duties to attend to, so we'll let you jump on out of here, and it's good to see you, my friend. All right, talk soon, Mike. Bob Wankel crossing broad. There you go. Some insights on what he thinks about the Phillies uh, June 1st and three and a half games out of the wild card. It's funny to say three and a half games out of the wild card and act like 13 and a half games out of the wild card, but it's only three and a half right now as they play the Nationals tonight. We are... uh, Josh, is the lineup out yet? We, we do not have internet out here, so we cannot see if the lineup is out yet. But that would be my lineup when Boehm is back. And I don't know when that Boehm situation is going to resolve. But I get Turner back in the leadoff spot with Boehm hitting in the number two hole. I got you. I got you. you threw me off for a second there. I would go Turner in the leadoff spot, Boehm number two, Harper three, and then Castellanos four, Schwarber five. You could do Stott six or Real Muto six based on if it's a right-hander or a left-hander pitching. Those two guys. This way, Schwarber has somebody kind of hitting behind him that, you know, um, one of the problems right now, I mean, Schwarber is just striking out so much. And a lot of it he's striking out on. Um, he's getting himself out. He, he's swinging at bad pitches. He's just lost up there. But I think that it's time to possibly put Turner back in the spot that he is uh, best suited for. By the way, Derek Hall has been transferred to Lehigh Valley. Christian Pache is expected to re, uh, begin a rehab assignment tonight at Jersey Shore. So some good news, I guess. Uh, Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, live here at the 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic. It's centered in Golf Club. Um presented by Woodruff Energy, and we'll be here till 6 o'clock tonight. Happy Hour Friday. Continue to send in your Happy Hour Friday beers of choice. I see them coming in. Give me a good suggestion. I got some good ones out here, thanks to Farmers and Bankers Brewery out here, in um, which uh, stopped by earlier today and dropped these off to me in Woodstown, New Jersey. Coming up, we've got a Happy Hour Friday conversation with Dave Gallagher tonight at 5. He played in the majors for 9 years. When does it start to get late for major leaguers? But coming up next, what does Joel Embiid need to win an NBA title? 
one NBA NBA analyst thinks it's an easy solution. Maybe not so easy to get, but you'll hear what they have to say. Coming up next on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Hey, Sports Bash Live. What's going on, everybody? We're at the 40th Annual Rancho Golf Classic, presented by Woodruff Energy at the Center and Golf Club here in Pittsgrove, New Jersey. Thanks to everybody uh, listening today on a happy hour Friday. Yes, indeed. And for happy hour Friday, I was lucky enough to be the recipient of some great beers from Farmers and Bankers in Woodstown. They dropped off a great selection of IPAs. Duva Wears My Car is a hazy IPA. Uh, the name Michael Duva, he's the brewer. Uh, need, no, no, the other beer is called Never Drink Alone for farmers and bankers. You get it, alone. It's a West Coast IPA. Uh, Little Dougie is a 5.1 Session uh, New England. Uh, New Jersey, uh, excuse me, Jersey Riptide is a 7.4 double IPA. And Battleship Pilsner is a Pilsner beer. They sent me uh, two four-packs of beer thanks to the people at uh, Farmers and Bankers. That was awesome. Philly's lineup is out tonight, and it is brought to you by Clark's Moving and Storage. Are you ready for this? A lot of changes in this lineup tonight. A lot of changes. You better put your seatbelt on. How about that? <laughs> put your seatbelt on before I read the lineup out. Here we go. Kyle Schwarber is leading off tonight, hitting 160. He's in the leadoff spot. Uh, Bryson Stott is hitting second. Bryce Harper is hitting third. So you got left-hander, left-hander, left-hander. You got a right-handed pitcher tonight, I believe. Castellanos is hitting fourth. Trey Turner is hitting fifth tonight. JT Real Muto is hitting sixth. Brendan Marsh is hitting eighth. Uh, excuse me, seventh. Uh, hitting eighth is Cody Clements and playing first base. And over at third base tonight is Drew Ellis. He is hitting ninth and playing third base instead of Sosa. Wheeler is on the mound. Schwarber, Stott, Harper, Castellanos, Turner, Real Muto, Marsh, Clements, Ellis. That is what the Phillies are going with tonight. And obviously, some thoughts on this. I mean, I don't know if Schwarber said, listen, I need to get back into the leadoff spot. That's where I feel most comfortable. And the team complied. I'm not suggesting that that's what happened. But it's a possibility that he said, hey, I just, you know, I'm struggling so bad. I feel like getting back into the leadoff spot. So you got that. You've got Turner, who is now hitting in the five hole today. So Turner went from two uh, to five. So him and Schwarber now, Schwarber hitting leadoff and Turner going to the five hole. So Schwarber, Stott, Harper, lefty, lefty, lefty. Castellanos, Turner, Realmuto, and then Marsh, Clemens Ellis. So we had so much reaction earlier today to that. And uh, now we hear this Schwarber going to the leadoff spot. I mean, they are just trying to do anything they can to try to get this team uh, jump-starting. But obviously what has gone on with the team offensively has just been a complete disaster. Um, but that said, three and a half games out of the wild card, as we mentioned, uh, June 2nd. On this date last year, they were five and a half games out of the wild card. So things aren't all 
that bad. Uh, people texting in right now at 609-403-0973, their lineups. Um, let's see. This guy said Turner, Stott, Harper, Castiano, Schwarber, Bohm, Real Muto, Marsh, uh, Sosa. When Hall comes back, I'd put him in nine at first, slide Bohm back to third. C.J. Cron stuff is irrelevant. You know, here's the thing. You know, when Hall comes back, you just heard what Bob said. He's not even guaranteed to get into the lineup. The way Clements is hitting right now, they're not going to just say, hey, Clements, you're benched. <laughs> you know, uh, he's the one guy. Now, you could say he doesn't provide a lot of power, and maybe they want to go there. C.J. Cron is a guy who I'm just not all that interested in. Um, uh, yes, Mike, that's why the Hoskins injury was such a big blow to his team. Uh, there's no right-handed presence in the lineup at all. Yeah, I've been preaching that for a while now, that they just have no right-handed presence on this team. And it's uh, it's tough for them to overcome the fact that when a, when a team throws a left-handed pitcher against this team, they just almost have no shot to win the game. I mean, really, they just have no shot to win the game when you think about how many lefties they count on. Schwarber, Stott, and Harper, Marsh. Those four guys are in the lineup almost every single day, no matter what happens. So they have four guys in the lineup facing a lefty. Then you throw in that Cody Clements has been your best option to play first base. He is a left-handed bat. That's a fifth left-handed bat. When Derek Hall returns, he is also a left-handed bat, and he is a would be a sixth left-handed bat. So you just can't continue to go on, uh, go on that way. They've got to find some balance to this lineup. They've got to find a way to find some right-handed power that can break up these lefties and lengthen the lineup a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Mike, to your point about who they're facing, they're facing uh, Josiah Gray, the right-hander for the Nationals. Okay. We, we should note that Gray in his career has allowed more home runs as a pitcher against lefties than righties, and he has a, on, he allows a much higher on-base percentage to lefties than righties. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, I, I will say this. Why I don't love Schwarber in the leadoff spot for, you know, it, and I guess it has to do with, like, in your mind, he's not the prototypical leadoff kind of hitter, right? He's not that uh, that leadoff guy with speed. Like, you know, when we think of leadoff guys, we think of, like, Ricky Henderson. That guy doesn't exist anymore. But I don't know what Schwarber's numbers are in the leadoff hole, like, off the top of my head. I do know this. Schwarber has hit leadoff more than any other position he has hit in his career. And I'm wondering if he just says, look, I feel more comfortable there. I'm going to get more pitches to see. If you put somebody behind me, I'll get more fastballs, and I can jumpstart this offense. Now, they tried this a couple weeks ago. He hit in the leadoff spot four games, and he didn't get a hit. They're going to try it again. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Coming up on the other side, what does Joel Embiid need to win an NBA title? What one NBA analyst thinks is the solution for Joel Embiid. You'll hear that coming up next. We're live at the 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic, centered in Golf Club, presented by Woodruff Energy here in Pittsgrove. It's a great cause, great day, beautiful day, a lot of food. Happy hour Friday. What are you having today? What do you have? This guy's got a Miller Lite. All right, he's drinking a Miller Lite. What do you got there, sir? Transfusion. That's a nice golf drink. I hear that a lot on the course. All right. That's a great way to get the day started. 
I got the uh, Farmers and Bankers Duva Where's My Car. That's what I'm rocking with on Happy Hour Friday. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, happy hour Friday. Now, I'm uh, not even halfway through my day, and everybody's out here at the 40th annual Rancho Golf Classic. They have been teasing me because everybody's having a couple of cold ones, and they know that it's happy hour Friday. Um... The Engine House stopped by, Golf and Social Lounge in Pennsville, New Jersey. Now, he had a transfusion in the Miller Lite. Does the uh, happy hour Friday start early at the Engine House? It looks like it has. The only place it's not starting early is for me. Everybody else is having a good time. Oscar's taking pictures over there. We've got uh, 156 golfers on the course today for this great cause 40th annual Ranch Hope, ranchhope.org to donate. Joel Embiid. There's been a lot of talk about Joel. The Knicks are hoping for crazy stuff to happen so they can slide in. That's not happening. Nick Nurse is not letting Joel Embiid get out of his hands. But can Nick Nurse find a way to get exactly what Joel Embiid needs? Monica McNutt says the answer for what Joel Embiid needs is pretty simple. Take a listen. He just needs a point guard of consequence. I'm not saying you can just go grab anybody, but Joel Embiid is one of those guys that shifts defenses enough that if you get him a point guard of consequence, they should be able to figure it out. Of course, with the growth of Tyrese Maxey, and perhaps if a different shift at that point guard position, maybe you see more of Ty- Tobias Harris as a offensive weapon. She says it's simple. They just need a point guard of consequence. You know... They had one of those in Toronto, a guy by the name of Fred Van Vliet, as my girlfriend would say, Van Vliet, Van Vliet. Um, does anybody out there wonder? Van Vliet the other day was on a podcast and kind of insinuated, if I'm not there and I'm still here in Toronto, well, you know who has the power to get out of Toronto is Fred Van Vliet. Now, I don't know what kind of wizardry that Daryl Morey can pull off to get Van Vliet to sign here. This isn't like the NBA, uh, the NFL, where Howie Roseman can come in and make these wonky contracts that give you guaranteed money and pay you like $350,000 a year, but you get $450 million for signing on the dotted line. That doesn't happen in the NBA. And the players' union frowns upon a player taking money less than what he could get on the open market. Van Vliet's going to get a pretty big deal. So can Maury be the guy who figures out a way to be Howie Roseman in the NBA? And I asked that question realizing this. Was it Maury the guy that got rid of the Al Hortford contract that was brutal? Yes, he was. Was it Maury the guy that got rid of the Josh Richardson contract? Yep. Didn't he find ways to get rid of players that seemingly we all thought nobody else wanted, but somehow he found a team that was willing to take them? If you backtrack to also Houston, remember, people said that that Chris Paul contract was untradeable, and he found the way to unload it? I would imagine if there's a GM in this league that could find a way to take a roster – 
that seemingly looks unfixable and make the roster fixable, it could be Daryl Morey. Because what did Nick Nurse say yesterday? I came to Philly not because of Joel Embiid, not because of this the guy or that player. He essentially pointed to the owner and the GM. He said, I came here for these two guys. And you might say, well, they don't play. And your answer might be, well, the players maybe don't matter as much as how are we building this team? Here is what Nick Nurse said yesterday at his press conference. I took the job because of these two guys and their track record of, of, of all of it. I mean, listen, I think that, uh, again, I'll get a deeper dive and deeper look at what we actually have and are going to have going forward later in the summer. Like, like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to go super deep into what we have until we know what we have. Uh, go, I'll go super deep into guys we know that are coming back and what skills and things that they may need to develop between now and training camp. But, no, I took the I took the job because of these two guys and the players. A lot there. You know, now that I heard that a second or third time, you know, the first time you hear it, you hear, I took the job because of these two guys. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. But then he went further. This is a roster that's pretty locked in. His answer didn't make it sound like he thought he had a lot of guys locked in. Now, did it? Well, we'll see who's here. Uh, we'll see who's on this roster. I don't want to go too deep on guys that I don't know if they're going to be here or not. He's only got like two free agents on this team, right? I mean, they got Paul Reed, who's a restricted free agent. They got Shake Milton, that I don't think Nick Nurse really cares if he's back or not. And the Daniel House uh, opted into his contract today, so he's going to be back. So there's not a lot of player movement on this team. Does Nick Nurse know something that we don't know? I think he does, Mike. I think that when you hire a guy like him who had options, right? Nick Nurse could have taken the Suns job or the Bucks job. He pulled his name out of the Bucks job on Saturday, days before reports came he was getting the Sixers job. You have to think that part of that conversation was, hey, these are our options. This is the direction we want to go in. Does anybody have an opinion? 609-403-0973. If I were to ask you guys, not you, but Nick Nurse. How many people think that Nick Nurse wants James Harden back? And how many people think that James uh, Nick Nurse would rather coach this team without James Harden? What do you guys think? I'm beginning to think, you know, he said yesterday, oh, James is a good player. He's, yeah, yeah, good player. But I'm beginning to think that... Nurse took this job with Maury telling him this roster is going to look a lot different. Don't worry. I will make sure this roster is fixed. Because otherwise, I don't think Nurse looked at this roster and said, this is the perfect roster for me. I was thinking about that on my drive here today. Where am I? Centered in golf club. You know how long it took me to get here? About an hour. I had a lot of thinking to do. And my thought was... I think Daryl Morey sold Nick Nurse, who could have gone and coached Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. But I think Daryl Morey convinced Nick Nurse that this roster is going to look a lot different. And that's what made him take this job. More Sports Bash coming up. Football at 4 is next. 
97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast with Jeff Mosher and this man, Adam Kaplan, who joins us for Happy Hour Friday edition of Football at Four. We're live at the 40th Annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic. It's centered in Golf Club in Pittsgrove, New Jersey, and it's been a great event. Everybody's kind of halfway through the event here. Great sponsors, great day. They're having a dinner tonight, awards and all sorts of stuff. Great uh, sponsors throughout the day stopping by to say hello and uh, people waiting around to hear this man, Adam Kaplan, football at four. Everybody loves the football at four. What's going on, Adam Kaplan? How are you? Um, well, Mike, Mike, could you get me one of those polo shirts? I could see it here on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm, uh, you know me. I'm king of the polo. The man, I had no, the man. I had the three quarter zip with me today, but it's too warm oh, out here. Oh, dude, you, you got come on, you got to hook us up with one of those. Come on, <laughs> I, I I could get you one of these things. All right, I'll come do on, that. I'll advertise it, man. For friends at Sky Motorcars, I wear uh, I wear their uh, their their three quarter zip. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it look, it's kind of an interesting note. The Eagles dump this on Friday, and I love it because I'm Mister Joint Practice. Yeah, we're. The Eagles are going to have another set of joint practices. I was not expecting that. That's cool. I love it. You know, it's it's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how uh, these things work and uh, how it all came yeah. into fruition here. It looked like just announced a little while ago that the Eagles yeah. uh, and the Colts are going to have a joint practice. And uh, obviously Sirianni has ties with the Colts. I think they're playing in the preseason too. Yeah, so almost always, Mike, with rare exception – Teams practice with each other leading up to their preseason game. So the, the way it's going to work, just like the Eagles will do the week before, also at home versus the Browns, uh, and both games are on a Thursday night. So what they most likely will do, it's almost always like this. They'll practice probably that Monday and Tuesday. Both teams will have their walkthrough on Wednesday where they don't work with each other. They'll just they'll, they'll have the walkthrough. Then they'll play that Thursday night. Now, because... There are all, remember now, we don't have four preseason games anymore. We have three. These games are interesting because, as we learned last season, for the preseason games, we'll talk about the joint practice in a second, not every team looks at like the third preseason game as the dress rehearsal. Some do the second game, Mike. That could be for the Browns when they, they, they come in. And the other thing now is we bring in the joint practice discussion. I noticed on my tour last year, because this was, this was again, with the, the shortened preseason, some teams are just basically taking the joint practices as a dress rehearsal and not the preseason game. So that's really what's happened here over the last couple seasons. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I know you got the old school guys who think, you know, these preseason games, you got to have that good drive. I want to see a good drive. Yeah. These teams value these joint practices almost more because in a preseason game, you may never get that third and one situation or you may never get that third down and 10 where you want to run that play. In the joint practice, you can run third and 10, 10 straight plays. Right. So what happens is on what you just said, you send a script in, you give a script to the other coaches staff. Hey, guys, this is what we want to work on. The other staff gives you that script. And that's just as he said, it's interesting that you brought that up. That's actually how the practices run. 
It's what you feel like you want to work on. Now, there's a really intrinsic benefit to this. Because you're going to work with not with them just once but twice, you got the joint practices, the two practices actually, and then barring something unforeseen will be two. It's rare that it's one, but it should be two. And then the preseason game, you've got so much tape from these guys. So what happens is you start looking at the bottom ten of their roster, which which you project by your own study of the roster. Then, by the way, Rick Spielman told us this, uh, the former Vikings GM for our Patreon subscribers earlier this week. Uh, what they do is they exchange notes with the opponent that week. Hey, which guys are fringe guys? It's maybe maybe we have some. Maybe we could work something out. Some teams do make trades uh, coming down to the, the the initial fifty-three in early September. Uh, when those there are there are only usually a couple trades, but they will exchange notes. So these are really important, particularly so now because you have you have one less preseason game. And Mike, we know this: veterans don't practice very much. In, the, in, in training camp. So the, these joint practices are very important. And sometimes, to be honest with you, they're longer than the normal practices. I mean, I, I remember uh, one, of, one of the two years that Sirianni's been here, there was one training camp practice was 45 minutes. I couldn't believe it. I never seen anything like that. Yeah, real quick, uh, before we get to some of the questions, uh, like the Eagles are allowed to have 13 of these. They choose to have less. Do they yeah. just not value the field work? Do they do more classroom work? Why do you think they've elected to only do a minimum amount of these? Well, it's interesting. The maximum under the CBA is 13. I, right. I don't – what I don't quite understand is, okay, so here's the way it was explained to me. And this happened in the first year. So Sirianni and the Eagles Players Council, whatever, whoever is apprised of it, they had an agreement that they would shorten it up. But our understanding was, okay, well, this means everybody's going to show up. Um, I, now, I know there's been some reporting about some people who were who not spotted. Now, I don't know, were they working out indoors? Were they weightlifting? I have no idea. So I don't want to say someone was not in the complex. But I don't quite, I still don't understand, though, why not every, unless it's injury, why wouldn't you be on the field doing something? You know, that that's, I, I don't quite understand that part of it. But I do know this, Sirianni was he wasn't real descriptive, but he did confirm he had an agreement with the Players Council, the Eagles Players Council, whoever that is. Remember, Doug Peterson had that as well. This is typical around the National Football League, but I don't know why just six. That, that And, yeah, it, it is – it's not the way that every team does it. Some The, the Bengals only have six practices. But, but now here's the difference. They do have three days of mandatory that the guys have to show up no matter what. That's the difference. Uh, especially if you have two new coordinators and you do have one yeah. on the offensive side of the ball. You would think these coordinators would want to get their guys out there. So well, let's start with the offense and the new coordinator, Brian Johnson. How much will this offense change in your mind uh, with uh, Brian Johnson? All right, let's address this because I know there's been a lot of speculation really for with both coordinators, Mike, what's going to change. And, in our reporting on uh, John and Gannon when he came in, what we had said is they really want to run a the mirror match system, which they'd run heavily last year, match, carry, and deliver. But he, he didn't think he could do it quite the way that he wanted to be based on the, the personnel that he had year two. He certainly had better personnel. But in offense, there really should be no slowing down of what they want. They're only going to have one new offensive lineman. They're going to have a new starter running back, whoever that may be. We're going we're gonna to get into that in, in, in a second. But the offense is going to be relatively the same. It's just a different play caller. Now, not everybody, obviously, 
Brian Johnson will have his spin on this the scheme and how he wants to call the game. But the scheme is the same. That That's not changing. It's how he calls it, which is going to be different. And that's the interesting thing here. Now, the one thing we've talked about on Inside the Birds is, particularly lately, and when it comes to running back, whoever's going to be on the field at a particular time, will the running backs be more involved in the, in the pass game? Because the Eagles running backs overall are in the bottom ten of, of receptions. I'm, no, as part of it because uh, Hertz doesn't want to check down, that's part of it. But maybe we need to see more design passes to the running backs, Mike. That could be a change here with Brian Johnson. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, people talk about, you know, the running backs not catching the ball, and it's like, hey, well, Hertz takes off and runs, and he gets 15 yards. Uh, sure. Instead of just dumping it off, he runs. So we'll see if they, that's the good point you make there, Adam. Will they have more design throws to their running back? Let's go to the running back. What does that position, you know, shake out to be? I, I, I've seen uh, some people talking about Penny at these OTAs, and he just looks yeah. like a, a big man back there. Yeah, he is interesting. He's five eleven in that area. I, I don't. We're going to find out how much he weighs. He, he definitely looks like a fullback, though. He's in terms of build. He's. I know when the Seahawks drafted him, he was two thirty five, which is obviously way too heavy. Uh, but he has got incredible juice. He's no offense to Gamewell or Sermon or, or DeAndre Swift. This guy's got amazing jets for a guy his size in particular. And then you've got DeAndre Swift, who's a little shifty. I'm fully expecting to be a two-man backfield with Gainwell mixed in, Boston Scott mixed in. But when we get to September, which is really all that matters, if everybody's healthy, Penny and Swift included because they're chief among them, those are the two guys who are going to touch the football the most. But then the question is, okay, well, what's the split going to be? That'll work itself out in training camp. Now, Swift, if they have a designated third down back, figures to be that guy. Maybe game will get some of that, but Swift based, he's really good as a pass catcher. Mike, he's exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's just the injury history is what frustrated the Lions. He was not dependable, but he's really gifted in that area. He's got great vision. And we know Gainwell didn't have a great training camp, was in and out with a role until late last season where he, like, yeah, was he a third down back? Yeah, but he, they didn't give him the football <laughs> until really late in the season where he looked really good. But the fact that they traded for Swift tells you that. Swift's going to have a heavy role there, and they're going to have to figure this out with Gainwell. Now, could Gainwell cut into Swift's role, which I'm projecting? Yeah. He could. Yeah. He could, but he's going to have to prove it. Would you say, it. I know it's June 2nd, but yeah. do you like the possibilities of this backfield better than the Miles Sanders-led backfield? Yeah, and I was asked that uh, in an interview this week, and I'm going to answer it this way a little bit differently. Rashad Penny, and no offense to Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is a really good back, and he signed for $6 million a year with the Panthers. Miles Sanders cannot do what Rashad Penny did two years ago with, with the Seahawks, where he led the NFL in rushing for like five weeks. He was unbelievable uh, at, at, on a toss, sweep, getting downfield. Guys like him, that big, don't move. like It's just really, he's got rare. The reason why he was a first-round pick, and Pete Carroll more or less made that call uh, back in 2018 He's just got rare ability for a guy his size. I'm talking about weight. Now, he's pro- I'm sure he's not too thorough. I'm, he's got to be in the 220s now. But he's better built, Mike. He's built his body up. Uh, I, I would think, Mike, when, when you when you look at this situation, Penny's got a chance to be the guy on first or second down more than Swift. That's probably the way I would look at that part. 
All right. So with the personnel they have, these running backs, you got Goddard, not a lot of depth at tight end per se. I know Clay Harper likes Dan Har- Arnold a lot yeah. uh, as a tight end there. What kind of uh, groupings do we see this team? 11, 12? Yeah. That's a huge question. And it's, again, June 2nd. Last year, Quez Watkins obviously was a disappointment. They didn't really have a, a fourth receiver. They weren't willing to use Britton Covey as a slot receiver, which is disappointing because one of the reasons why we said coming out of OTAs last year that Britton Covey's a guy that's probably going to make the team, backup slot and, and, and punt returner. Well, he never they never used him as a slot receiver. I, I didn't understand that. Quez Watkins, Mike, it, I, know, I know they tried him as that guy. He's really not. He runs – look, we know he's fast. He doesn't have great hands. So Alameda Zacchaeus will be their three. But the good thing here now is with Zacchaeus, as a, who's a dependable three, they'll have the ability to go 12 when they want to with Goddard and Jack Stoll or Grant Calcaterra. But Calcaterra doesn't block well enough yet. Dan Arnold is a slot tight end who was a receiver in college who should push Calcaterra. But they've got the ability to mix and match. And don't forget about Tyree Jackson, who's healthy, who's a big guy at 6'7", who's, who, who's built his body up. He's finally healthy. So they'll have the ability, Mike, to flip from going 11, three receivers and one tight end to, to, to 12 personnel uh, with two tight ends and two receivers. That's the good thing because they have got they got better depth at, at both positions. So maybe a more versatile-looking offense yes. here. Adam Kaplan, yep. football at four, inside the birds podcast, inside the birds.com. Let's go to defense, man. And obviously John Gannon uh, and many coordinators like a defensive line rotation. They like to keep those guys uh, fresh. So will that be, uh, Sean Desai's philosophy with, with the groupings that he has? I don't think there's any question they have to, he has to do that. He has to do the latter because you've got, and they typically start with a 3D tackle alignment. That's every game they started. The first play of the game was that. No matter who they had, it was like Cox last year, Hargrave, and then you saw Joseph or Sue later in the season. Jordan Davis, when he was healthy, was technically starting in that alignment, but even obviously didn't. starting only means who's there for the first play. That's technically what it means, but it's all about snap counts. So there are 34 front. That's not going to change with two overhangs, but the way they deploy it, they've got Cox, Carter, Davis, Milt Williams, and my, my money will be on Kentavious Street, who I really like, who's a underrated player. I, I know in our initial 53, I had Ojomo as a 60 tackle. It's hard to keep six. It's just hard. But you've got that rotation, which has the potential. Everybody's healthy. If Davis continues to be in shape, which we put out two months ago, they were really happy with the way he showed up to their offseason program. In fact, he was really working out there, so they knew it. And then Jalen Carter, everything we've heard so far is good, which flushed with with Cox and Milt Williams, who's who's been a good story for them, Mike. That, That rotation set. Now the 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 edge rushers the guy now when they go to a, they do play some forty three with Graham with Sweat Derek Barnett's back uh, they've got those guys they need one more guy and whether that's Janaris Robinson or Milt Williams is that fourth end because he's played it remains to be seen but on your point Mike they have the potential to have a very deep rotation on the defensive line great uh, you know. And you look at an opportunity for someone to move up in that rotation, too. I mean, is there a, a, a kind of a maybe a dark horse here? That guy would be Janaris Robinson. I know when they signed him off the Vikings practice squad, they knew he wasn't going to contribute. Then he got hurt. But 
what they want to do is get him to the offseason because he is long at 6'5", uh, long arms. Uh, I, I talked to someone uh, who knows the, is familiar with the player. said he's a perfect developmental player. You'd ra- you rather him be on your practice squad to develop where there's no pressure. Now he's on he, he's on the he's on the ninety man roster. They're going to take a look at him in these practices, also in training camp. And remember, with BG, obviously he's on a one year deal. Derek Barnett's on the last year is a two year deal. He has a real shot if if he blows it up in training camp, Mike. That's one of the sleepers that we'll be looking for in training camp. All right, uh, let's look at uh, the defensive secondary here with Adam Kaplan because. Uh, the back end of the defense is depth of concern. We know that uh, they got a lot of safeties. I mean, a lot of corners on this team. There's a lot of safeties, I guess, but uh, can any of them play? That's the question. See, depth is not how many guys you have. It's how many guys that you, you feel good about. So I would, I would think these six practices, I know it's not a lot, but they'll have, they'll have those six practices and, and, and the tape to go through. And that'll largely contribute to whether they sign another veteran by the start of training camp in late July. Because, look, Zach McPherson, he could play the slide. He, he, he could play outside. He's an okay player. He hasn't had to play a lot because the two starting corners have not been hurt. That's a good thing. Greedy Williams is there. He had a big injury history with Cleveland. Uh, but he's he's long. I know that Charles Walls, who's their, one of their personnel directors, was with him in Cleveland. But Williams is on IR, Mike, twice. Yeah. You worry about that. Uh, he was on IR last season and also in 2020. He's a pretty gifted kid. He's got a new lease on life here uh, with the Eagles. He's got uh, he's got the inside track to be the three. Third outside corner, Zach McPherson will be the fourth. And probably the backup slot. He, I think he would have the, the edge for that. And plus, he's a good special teams player. The good thing is here, Mike, because nothing's really totally set with these backup jobs. Eli Ricks, Makai Garner, Josh Job. Mario Goodrich, Tristan McCollum's another guy that uh, that we'll talk more about when we get uh, down the line here. Who I like, I think he's got some really interesting gifts. He's tall, uh, pretty smart kid. He's just he's not the he's not he doesn't have like the the great body for safety. He's more of a he's got corner length, but he's a guy I know they're going to take a deep look at here in OTAs. Um, would if one of these corners, a Greedy Williams or a McPherson? could play the slot and they felt comfortable, would they look at Maddox as a safety or do they like him so much as that slot that that would not be considered? Well, Maddox, remember, has played safety. Yeah. Uh, when Jim Schwartz moved him against Tennessee uh, many years ago, if you remember, we we were trying to figure out who is it going to be and they kept it under wraps and it was uh, us was Avanti Maddox because he's so smart, he picked it up and he wasn't terrible at it. I mean, he, he obviously he's a good athlete, he's a smart guy and he can move. Uh, but no, they they had an opportunity to do this last year when when uh, when Gardner Johnson got hurt, and they you know they stuck in uh, they moved in Reed Blankenship, but Blankenship really Mike is a three. He the way he's explained to me is he's just he's not a good enough foot athlete to be a starting safety in the National Football League. He's a he's a guy who'll get you through a tough spot in three or four games, but if you're asking for 17 games plus playoffs, it's just not the way you want to go. All right, football at four. Adam Kaplan, uh, OTAs continue next week. They'll have a couple of days. I think there's one day off in there uh, for yeah, their OTAs. Yeah. And, of course, you can check out uh, the Inside the Birds podcast with Adam and Jeff and football at four all season long and the off season here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Adam, appreciate it, man. See you. Thank you. Adam Kaplan, of course, here on a Sports Bash 
Happy Hour Friday. And uh, we'll get back to your text messages and uh, let us know what are you having on this Happy Hour Friday to kick off the weekend. 609-403-0973. Let us know what you got in your fridge for the Friday show. And we got a great prize that we're going to hook up somebody with today. I'll give you details on that coming up in just a little bit. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. What are you having on this happy hour Friday? I know what I'm having. A lot of fun this summer. And I'm trying to hit my friends down at Trio, North Wildwood, at least in the next month of June here. I was there last month, had a fantastic experience, and they're expanding the menu and the hours. It's a short drive from Seven Mile Island, Stone Harbor, Avalon area. You head right into Wildwood, North Wildwood, New Jersey Avenue, 700 New Jersey Avenue. Trio was named uh, one of America's best restaurants, and I've been there, and I can tell you, Chef Gus, I know why now. It's a fantastic atmosphere. I like the atmosphere. The menu's fantastic. They added the meatloaf, which is backed by popular demand. But i tell you what. I love that look with the garage doors that go up. You can sit out on the street there. I think it's a table sitting for up to 36 out on the street. But the inside, spacious, cool vibe, BYOB. This summer, this weekend, this month, Make plans to check out Trio North Wildwood, 700 New Jersey Avenue. Short drive from Seven Mile Island. And, man, what better way to start the summer on a summer night, on a Friday night, a Saturday night with a great dinner. Trio North Wildwood. Mike Gill in the Sports Pass Live. When we come back, Dave Gallagher, former major leaguer, played for the Phillies, nine major league baseball teams, when do you start to get concerned as a player? Man, I'm not going to turn this around. When he sees a player going through a slump, like Trey Turner, like Kyle Schwarber, what gets them out of it? Schwarber's hitting leadoff tonight. Is that the way to get him out of the slump? We'll ask former major leaguer Dave Gallagher coming up next on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. At what point of a Major League Baseball season does a Major Leaguer start to have doubt that he'll be able to turn things around? Well, lucky for us, Dave Gallagher played in the Majors, and he's with us on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Dave, when you see a guy who has had so much success, like Trey Turner, and he's hitting 238, do you start to wonder if something's wrong? Is this what he's going to be? Or do you look at him and say, I see a hot streak coming, and he's going to approach the back of his baseball card? Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit of both. I I know a hot streak is coming because that's who he is. That that will happen in the meantime, though. Um Collectively, right? You got a few guys in the lineup that are struggling at the same time, and you're losing games. Um, I I'd be the last one to make an excuse. Uh, nor would Trey Turner. I've never met him, but I will guarantee you he's not going to make any excuses. So I'll, I'll give some reasons that I believe uh, he's been hurt. 
I do know I played on seven different teams. When you first get there, it doesn't matter what your background is and success you've had. You always want to make an impression on your new teammates and the new coaching staff. If you if you can get that early, it's fortunate. You relax. Um, but I still, Mike, you and I have talked about it a few times. I feel like there's a few guys that are just not in the place in the batting order that they that they can succeed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not blaming it on anybody because I'm not so sure they have the pieces to make that type of a batting order. Um, for the layperson, uh, he's a free swinger. He loves to hunt fastballs early in account. So to take him and put him in a, a spot in the batting order where he really shouldn't do that, he should get deeper, see more pitches, I think you're asking him to do something that he's not good at. Um, I think I noticed that today, I think they're hitting fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they've shook it up a little bit. They put Schwarber back at the leadoff spot today. So Schwarber's back at one, and Turner is now hitting five today. So uh, is there a yeah. message there? Is that take Schwarber saying, Coach, I'm struggling. I feel way more comfortable at the top of the lineup. Boy, I don't know. I can't see Schwarber being that type of a guy. It's possible. I, I could see the coaching staff pulling him in. But you know what, uh, Mike, that leads me to something that's really aggravating me. I hope you don't mind me bringing something up. But, I, I mean, nowadays I feel like the, the major league managers, um, maybe Bochy, uh, Dusty Baker, Showalter, guys like that that have been around probably as part of their deal, they put – they put some uh, lines in there where they control making out the lineup. They make in-game moves or whatever. And maybe they can't even do that these days. But most teams are not doing that. And and um, I'm yeah. sure lineups and decisions are coming from the top. And when I say the top, probably up in those suites at the yep. stadium. Yep. Oh, well, listen, so we I don't know. This week we had a former team president on the show and he said exactly that because I asked about Rob Thompson. He said, Rob Thompson's not making the lineup. That lineup is being given to him around lunch. They meet again before the game, before batting practice, before the national anthem to go over everything. He said basically every decision that is made in that game has been made around noon. That, that, that just horrifies me, to be honest. It, it aggravates me because when you think about how a game is watched by fans, the when a decision, well, here's two of them that I didn't understand. That right or wrong, I didn't understand them. The, the Met series when Harper didn't pinch hit, I really thought he had to be hurt. I thought I, I understand giving him a day off the rest, but I saw his face when the camera panned the dugout. He had a look on his face. This guy likes to win, mm-hmm. and the look on his face was like, "I, why am I not pinch hitting here?" Well, um, I can, let me ask you about that, Dave, hurt. because. Yeah. Uh, the, the way it was described to us by the executive was there is a shoe day and a spike day. In other words, you are off today, completely off. Put your shoes on. There's a spike day where you're not playing today, but you may play. And his reasoning was if you have your cleats on, you know, it's in your mind that you might get into the game and you're not really taking the day off. And if you have your shoes on, you are oh, off boy. today. You are not playing in this game. So do not get mentally prepared. And he wanted they wanted Bryce Harper to basically not even think about getting into that game. I, I get that, but now and you're playing against the Mets. You're a few games out of the wild card. I know it's early, but it's not early anymore. We're a third of the way through the season. 
Um, I would change the name of that shoe day to it's okay to lose day <laughs> because to me that, that just shouldn't happen. And from what I've seen of Bryce and I've actually, uh, you know, I spent time with him at the rookie career program. That's how old I am. I was his mentor there. Um, that, that guy is a, not only is he ultra talented, but he's a competitor. So I think it probably bothered him more mentally going home with a loss and, and he couldn't do anything about it. Um, and the other move was JT trying to steal and getting thrown out. And I understand that what analytics might show is you can run on the, the Mets catcher. I think his name is Alvarez. Uh, maybe even get a good read off of the pitcher. Um, down two, he just walked JT on four pitches, and the, and they had the Phillies had to be happy that the Mets starter was out of the game. That's just the way it is. I know that guy was he's not a, a Cy Young Award winner, but he was pitching really well. That happens. Now you got a relief pitcher. He walks the first guy. Now the tying run is coming to the plate, and we're going to look strictly at the analytics. So to me. Analytics tell a story. They give you great information. But I don't have to meet uh, Rob Thompson to know he spent his life in the game and he has gut feelings and he sees what his eyes are telling him. And, and there's probably times where he wants to do something. Um, so I, w- I would like to see that camera, that television camera, when a decision is made that everybody is questioning, instead of panning the dugout locking in on, on Rob or anybody in the staff, pan that, those upper feet in the, the sweep, you know, pan those guys that are making those decisions and let them take credit for good decisions, but also women, the bad ones, because Rob's not going to throw anybody under the bus. He's not going to throw his employers under the bus in a post-game interview. I just sense that I'm not even in that clubhouse. And I sense just a lot of probably questioning at this point, from batting order and decisions, and there's too much talent uh, for them not to be playing more consistently. And I hate to say this, Phillies fans are going to hate this, but take a look at the Braves. There's just simply more consistency. They get more hits with two strikes. Their lineup is pretty damn steady. Guys know what you're doing when you show up at the ballpark. That's that's pivotal part of the game, right? Knowing what your role is in that place in the batting order. Um, yeah. Hey, if you think about Schwarber, everyone talks about his strikeout totals. But if he's hitting six or seven, um, you strike out more than other people for good reason, because you take more chances, right? You're willing to start your swing early enough to get out to extension. Um, so you're going to be wrong a lot more than guys who don't. A guy like me, Dave Gallagher, didn't have the right to start my swing early to get out to extension because I couldn't do as much damage as a Schwarber. That's why I hit one or two. But I was really good at hitting behind runners, taking pitches to let a guy that can run steal, putting the ball behind him, man on second, nobody out. So there's there's certain things that players do. Do you see any of these guys fitting in the roles that they're in? And they're always, they're ever-changing. Yeah. And Dave, let's talk about one of the roles that's missing. Dave Gallagher, former major leaguer, is with us for some time with the Phillies, among many other ball clubs. So he's been around a lot of great players. The lineup without that right-handed bat that can hit the ball over the fence and how much this team is missing Reese Hoskins, probably more than we thought because, you know, he hit in the number two spot last year. And this year on this team, he probably wasn't going to hit in that spot. And it seems that his absence has hurt more than anybody imagined. 
I, I agree. I mean, there's definitely a spot uh, for Reese in the offense. Um, I know he frustrates a lot of Phillies fans, but I think he fits in that category. If he's hitting, say, six or seven, him and Schwarber, can you imagine the, the boppers like that? But you'd have to have a really good top of the order that made a lot of sense in order to do that. Um, you know, so I've heard people talk about him hitting two. I don't see him as a prototypical two. I, you know, you know what I'm about to say. I love Spot hitting two for so many reasons. He's just a, a very bright player. He knows how to win. Um, I think I made the same mistake that the front office of the, of the Phillies made when they acquired Turner. That we slot him into that leadoff spot and forget about him. Um, that would be great if that worked out because it probably would be Turner and then Stott. And then now that Bonus really solidified himself as, with his approach, maybe you can mix and match him and Schwarber three and four. I'd like to pencil Schwarber in regardless of the lefty-lefty and lefty-righty matchups. Um, in fact, I would like to pencil certain guys in and say this is your spot. Right, maybe Stott two, Schwarber three. If if you're really um, against two lefties back to back, maybe put Bone three and, and um, Harper four. But uh, I, I'd love to see maybe Castellanos five, Schwarber six, Real Muto seven. That starts to look like a really strong lineup. But more importantly, um, you know, if I think if you leave guys alone for a little while and they come to the ballpark knowing where they're going to hit. Uh, with the exception of a day of rest. And it, to me, it should always be spikes on. Never should it be a day of rest for <laughs> a position player. With, uh, you now, know, I, I would imagine, you know, that that changed, you know, more more recently than when you played in the game. I think the manager probably was making a lot more of these decisions. And I think it's frustrating for the fans to hear because the fans like to blame the manager when things aren't going wrong. He's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He should be doing this. But it seems that this is a newer kind of philosophy that the front office is being more involved in these decisions, correct? No doubt. No doubt. Um, so, yeah, and that that brings me back to the point that I don't need to meet Rob Thompson or spend any time with him to know you don't get to where he has gotten without having a, an unbelievable understanding of the game. Some people can be in the game their whole life and not have a good feel. It, it comes down to passion, to be quite honest with you. And that's in anything in life, right? But I know for me, I always had a passion for this game. So as a player, I retained information. I heard it. I kind of uh, vetted it in my own brain. I like that. I don't like that. This guy's a horrible communicator. If I ever run a team, I would never do it like that. Or, oh, I really like the way this guy does his, like Jim Leyland, the way he did his pick. Forget the way he walked to the mound. He went like he was, he's the, the manager. He already made this decision, shoulders back, firm walk. Here's what we're going to do. When he pit, new pitcher came in, here's how we're going to pitch this guy. We're going to induce a double play or, or we're going to strike him out. It, the bottom line is I've seen other managers when they go out, they go out and the first thing out of their mouth is, what do you think we should do here? They're asking. You're kidding me. You know, so like you learn, you retain information. My guess is that Rob Thompson is that guy. He has that information. What a waste it would be if it isn't used. So for me, analytics are, I mean, come on, we'd be foolish not to use them with all the new technology. Mm -hmm. But they, they paint a picture. They tell a story. Here's the tendencies. 
But that's a myth, what happened the other night with uh, Mets bringing in a new pitcher. He walks, was it Otsavania, I think? Walks JT on four pitches. Then it's a one-and-one count. You could feel the Phillies coming back in that game. And then it was just thrown out a second. It sapped everything. That game's over Mm -hmm. right there. And I just, wow. I mean, Mike, you may know more than me on this, but I wonder when the staff closes the door before – you know, the analytics people in the GM or assistant GM or everybody comes down into that office. What is that conversation like? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy to think that, you know. And it's funny because um, we were talking with uh, uh, Dave Sampson, who was the team president of the Miami Marlins, who won a World Series, by the way, while he was there. Um, and yeah. when I asked the question, he said, look, Rob Thompson's not making these lineups. This lineup is given to him. He said down to, they have conversations down to, if the pitcher can't get out of the first inning, you go to this guy. If he can't get out of the right. fourth inning, you go to that guy. If, you know, basically the whole game is already mapped out before the game starts. And I said, is that just the Marlins when you were there, or is that everybody? He said, everybody. Every team's front office is doing this, not just select ones. You said maybe there are a few that, now maybe there are, but I mean, it sounds like it's more prevalent. And then I asked the question because, you know, Dave Dombrowski is kind of an old school GM, but he's not really the GM. That is Sam Fold who came from Tampa. And if he came from Tampa, I would imagine that there's a lot of uh, influence from Sam Fold maybe making that lineup. Most likely there is. You're right. I mean, the only reason I brought up guys like Bruce Bochy, um, Buck Showalter, not because they've been around or they're old school, but more, um, I think you'd be foolish not to use their intellect, their baseball yeah. intellect. Sure. Right? Dave, and I, I want to ask you this question. Um, last year, the Phillies on June 2nd were 25 and 29. On June 2nd this year, they are 25 and 29. Last year, they hit 56 home runs. This year, they have 55. Last year they have 208 ribbies. This year they have 218. They hit 245 last year. This year they are hitting 254. It was about this date when they started to turn the corner. Do you see that corner about to be turned, or is this team in some trouble? Well, I think they're in trouble. Um, I do. I mean, I, the wild card is not out of reach. I do think similar to basketball, right? You watch a basketball game, team is down by 15 or 18. You know a run is coming. Um, but can the opponent withstand that run? I see the Braves being consistent uh, line to line here. I, I do. I, I could be wrong, but that's just it's what I'm seeing. That's what my, my eyes are telling me. Um, the Mets and the Phillies, kind of had similar seasons to this point. Um, the Mets kind of spread that that uh, lead in front of the Phillies out with the sweep, uh, but they've been similar. A couple injuries here and there, pitchers that you know you thought were going to do better didn't. Now both teams are trying. Like Wheeler showed good signs. My guess is he'll, he'll dominate tonight. Um, Suarez is a feel and command type pitcher. There was some good signs there if you watched that game. He was locating in. He was locating away. His change-up you know, so it doesn't surprise me that he needed a few starts to start to get that. So maybe Nola worries me. He's been inconsistent with his velocity. And Taiwan Walker, man, I just hate, I would hate to bat off of that guy. That, 
that's a compliment to his stuff, but he's, he has left so many, he would tell you, he has left so many pitches up in the zone that's led to his inconsistency. So at some point, these guys got to right the ship. It isn't just going to be teams handing it over and say, hey, you guys deserve to be back in because you did it last year. You know, they're going to yeah. have to earn it. Well, I, I guess the you one know? thing is, is that, you know, the Phillies don't exist in a vacuum and the rest of the league uh, is struggling as well. I mean, they're only three and a half games yeah. out because the league has been so bad. And that's what I say. Look, the Phillies are having a bad stretch while everybody else is joining them. Somebody is going to have to start pulling away from the pile at some point, you would imagine. Yeah, that that's the saving grace, right? Um, let me let me see if I can condense a quick story that sums this up, this point. So back in my day, 95, I'm playing with the Phillies, and uh, Darren Dalton was the captain, best captain I've ever played with in, on seven teams uh, for a lot of reasons. And there was a big giant of a man, Jeff Juden, was a six foot ten right-handed pitcher who was a big prospect. And he just struggled start after start after start. And I was commuting back to Jersey, so I wouldn't rush out. I wanted the crowd to dissipate. So I'd go back and pop a cold beer, and I'd sit in that training room. Dutch always had ice on both knees um, every game, you know. So he was sitting back there, and a lot of times it would be Dykstra. And we would talk about the game and what what we need to do better and how we can go about it. I enjoyed that. There was no reason for me to rush. Well, Juden had started, and it was just yet another inconsistent start. And he was kind of whining, right? This big man. And he was just like, I don't know what's going on, Dutch. And, and uh, Darren looked up at him and he said, maybe you're just not good enough to be here. <laughs> I don't think he's ever been talked to like that at yeah. six foot ten. So he said, come on, Dutch. And he goes, what? What have you shown that tells me you belong to be in the starting rotation and to be here? You know what he was doing. That's what a captain and a leader does. He's lighting that fire. It's either going to happen now or not. But I'm not going to feel sorry for you. You've got to do something to change this or it's going to be the same thing. So that's how I would sum up the Phillies. I don't know who that person is to say it. They probably already have. Yeah. Uh, but maybe each individual, we got to kick it in. The great story you know? from Dave Gallagher, former major leaguer, 95 with the Phillies right there, and uh, played with, what, nine teams, seven teams, did you say? Seven different teams, yeah. Seven different teams, a lot of great perspective. Phillies June 2nd, Nationals this weekend, Detroit following that. Let's see if they can kind of get some good baseball going here. If not, well, you know, uh, the panic button gets hit quickly around these parts. Dave, have a great weekend, man. I hope to catch up with you soon. You too. Always enjoy it, Mike. Dave Gallagher, former Major League Baseball player, uh, I love the perspective, that story there with Dalton. Who is the Phillies Dalton? Who is the guy that sees this team struggling right now and tries to get him out of the rut? Well, Dave just said, I don't know the answer to that question. Reese Hoskins maybe used to be that guy. Great conversation with Dave Gallagher. We're live at the 40th annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic here at Centerton Golf Club. We're running out of time on the show, though, today. But when we come back in the 5 o'clock hour... We're going to talk to former Sixer head coach, and of course you guys know him from Sixers pre- and post-game live, Jimmy Lynham, on the impact that Nick Nurse might have with the 76ers. That's still to come here on the Sports Bash. Happy Hour Friday. What are you having on the Happy Hour Friday? We've got some good ones that have come in throughout the day. I apologize. I have not been 
on the text board as much. I am on location and my internet is a little spotty, but I do see Josh from Cape May with the uh, Icarus Shrinking Crayons. I think I have had that one before. I got to check my app. I got to check my untapped, see if I've had that one before. Let me know what are you having on this happy hour Friday. More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Happy hour Friday here on the Sports Bash with the 40th annual Rancho Wranglers Golf Classic presented by Woodruff Energy, located at Centered in Golf Club in Pitts Grove, New Jersey. 59th year in service to children, youth, and families through an array of community-based services. And we are live on location for another hour today. They were kind enough to have us out here. Happy Hour Friday. Somebody just sent in the Icarus Shrinking Crayons, uh, Lakewood, New Jersey. My untapped Everyone who has had this beer, only 151 people have checked in. That means this is a pretty unique beer. 4.9 on the untapped scale. I got to try this one out. That's uh, it's a good quality pick by you there, Josh from Kate May on Happy Hour Friday. What are you having on this Happy Hour Friday? I told you earlier in the show, I want to thank the guys and gals over at Farmers and Bankers who brought me a nice four-pack of beer called Duva Where's My Car. So on my happy hour Friday, I'm having a four-pack of Duva Where's My Car. And that is a 5.3 hazy IPA that I will be cracking into a little bit later on tonight. What do you have it on happy hour Friday? Let us know. We've got a great giveaway that we're going to be giving away, and I'll tell you more about that in the next hour on the show when we come back. Coach Jimmy Lynham will talk a little Sixers with us next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Well, the Sixers have landed their man, Nick Nurse, or did he pick them? And what kind of impact will Nick Nurse have with this roster, with Joel Embiid, with Tyrese Maxey? We'll ask former Sixer coach. Now, you guys know him from Sixers pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Coach Jimmy Lynham is in the house here as the Sixers have introduced Nick Nurse as the 26th head coach in Philadelphia 76ers history. And he joins me now for more perspective on the impact of a head coach and what this particular one might have on this team. NBA champion 2019, Nick Nurse. Coach Lynham, how are you, buddy? Mike, how are you, buddy? Everything good. I'm out here at the golf course today broadcasting live. Did you get out on the course today? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, I'm going to play uh, like a sunset nine in a little bit. All right, so when he's done, he's going to be out on the course. We're out here at uh, Centerton for the 40th annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic. It's a great cause, but it's nice to be outside. And now we know Nick Nurse will be the new Sixers head coach. Your initial thoughts on Coach Nurse and what kind of impact he might have uh, to possibly help get this team over the hump. Yeah, uh, Mike, uh I really, I'm looking forward. I, I can't predict uh, to say, you know, when the when a new coach t- 
takes over a, a new team, you know, it's uh, it's like a new marriage. And uh, that nurse has been incredibly successful. Obviously, he has a championship pedigree. But I like some of the things uh, that he brings. He, he has experience coaching a star player in Kawhi Leonard. And they were tough circumstances. You know, that was like almost like rent, rent a player for a year was what most of us speculated. And that's the way it turned out. That's not the easiest setting to have to deal with somebody. And credit to Nurse and to Kawhi that uh, they pulled it off. And the second thing I really like about him is he probably, that year when they won, when Toronto won the title, uh, that, that I think I'm, I'm not going out on a limb when I say this. I think I'm right. That he, he coached outside the box, like not, not like a traditional style of coaching, particularly at the defensive end of the court, like I've never seen in the NBA. Um, to that level. And I really think that where this league is now, that that kind of a talent really has a chance of, like, kicking the door down. Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about, you know, throwing a box and one on Curry in the finals there. I mean, how many team running box and one? Maybe St. Joe's prep or something like that. But you don't see that at the NBA level. And he was throwing the kitchen sink at Curry in those finals there. But uh, when you look at the Sixers roster, that Toronto team, a lot of athletic, long wings. Do you see what he did in Toronto working with the roster he may have here in Philadelphia? Well, you're right. that I would say uh, across the board, probably a different style or type of player. Left Toronto, long, rangy, athletic type of players. Now, sometimes when you go out and get those guys, particularly as young players, I'll give you an example. When the Sixers back in the day drafted Jeremy Grant from Syracuse, you know, couldn't shoot a lick. Real good player, but couldn't shoot. And you take a shot on guys like that saying that if we ever can develop this guy as a shooter, then you have something special. And obviously Jeremy's a guy who did develop. So, uh, yeah, Toronto has those kind of players. The Sixers don't have enough of them. Uh so, yeah, that's, that's part of good coaching. You have to adapt to what's here. And it, I assume he'll get, like, a lengthy contract, but the fact of the matter is this is a win-now team, as you know, Mike. Yep. So uh, Nick's going to have to figure this out on the fly. And, you know, how do you best utilize a super like – and he is a super. But some people don't like the way Joel always plays, you know, with playing away from the basket. But you can't argue the fact that the guy's a superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think and the you, real question for me is what what's the deal with James Harden? That's obvious. Yes, uh, you mentioned, and we'll get into that uh, in just a bit here with Jimmy Lynham, uh, Coach. You mentioned you know he might get a long, he's probably going to get a long term deal, but one of Nurse's detractors detractions have been you know that he calls out his players and that he rides these guys hard, and that this is a win now situation. Is that, though, what this team needs? Do they need someone maybe to call them out and ride them hard? Is that what's been – he was asked multiple times yesterday, why is this team not able to get out of the second round? And I don't know that he gave a definitive answer other than, you know, it's a bounce of the ball here, it's a something there. But when you look in this team, do they need someone maybe to kind of poke the bear a little bit more? That's a good question, Mike. I, you know, I can't answer that. Um, and 
in, in behalf of Nurse, I didn't hear the whole press conference. I think I, the bits and parts that I've heard, I've heard most of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, you know, obviously I follow this team closely. Yep. And I'm not sure I could give it a, like a bottom line answer. Why have they not gotten out of the second round? Yeah, the the the, the luck of a bounce in that Toronto series. What back in uh, in eighteen nineteen, I guess it was. Uh, you know, but they've had some bad. This this loss this year was a bad. Bad loss. After they put themselves in position to win a home game in Game Six, can't lose that game. I would put that on on par, not as bad as the Atlanta loss back what three years earlier. That was devastating to me. So that you know, you put all that together, yeah, there's there's something here that's not quite right, and that's going to be Nurse's mission. He's got to fix it. Yeah, um, you know, you talk about. The bad losses. And this team, you know, you can make an argument that, yeah, they're right there with Boston and they may be right there with Miami and maybe even right there with Denver. I mean, if they're playing Denver, are they good enough to beat Denver? Yeah, maybe an Embiid versus Jokic would be a great finals to get to watch. But I guess the question is, if they fired the coach, Doc Rivers, are they saying essentially we think we have the right players we needed a new guy, or do they think they need a new guy and they need to bring some new players in as well? Is this a two-prong uh, offseason? Well, it will be a two-prong, but I think that what they are saying when you make a coaching change is we have to take a shot. We have to try to do something different. You know, that old line, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And in saying that, I'm going to tell you right now that Doc Rivers did some very, very good coaching with this team. That he didn't get out of the second round, yeah, and that was his mission. Not just get out of the second round. His mission is to win a title with this team. And I would tell you right now, I mean, if I were in there interviewing for the job, I'm not, I'm not speculating that that was the case. But <laughs> it would be, I would walk in and say, if I were going to take the job, I would say to management and to ownership, I think I can win a title with this team. And I think that Nick Nurse, he, he said something to that effect, that with Joel Embiid. Now, how Harden figured into that conversation, I can only speculate. I have no idea. Right. But if you have Joel Embiid and you have a young, promising, and I think he's a star, I think it's fair to say, and Tyrese Maxey, then, yet yeah, championship aspirations are legit. Oh, I don't think there's any re- way uh, around that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Is This team can win a championship. Why we keep falling short? If you were to say, Coach, I'm a new coach, I'm coming in, and as reported that him and Joel met, and if he said a big reason I want to coach this team is because of Joel and Bede, and I was Daryl Morey, and I said to you, what more can I get from Embiid? What do you think Nick Nurse may be able to get from him that he hasn't already given and that nobody else has been able to get? Yeah, that's a good question, and I'm sure Nurse uh, would have some feelings along that line, Mike. I'll tell you quite frankly what I would, if, if I were asked that question, the start of my answer would be, I would say, I'll tell you what I hope I could get from Joel Embiid. I would hope I could get a healthy Joel Embiid come playoff time. Yeah. That would be the first thing I would say. Because this guy, including this year, as you know, he missed the first game of the Boston series. He has never been healthy for a playoff, ever. Mm-hmm. 
And now, now, can you do anything as a coach to help Embiid protect himself out a tad bit more when he's playing? That That's possible. We don't have to go into that here. You know, this guy plays, uh, for all the criticism sometimes that I hear, he plays, I mean, all out. This guy, does he hit the ground a little more than I'd like? Yes. But that's not when Joel Embiid gets hurt, Mike. You know when Joel Embiid gets hurt? He gets hurt when he's airborne. When seven foot one goes up into the sky at 285 to 290, that's where he gets hurt when he comes down. Yeah. Well, a seven foot, 285 pound man was not made to run up and down a hardwood floor, right? I mean, that is just well, not. Well, watch. No, he's not. But watch. If you're going to say run up and down, how about fly through the air and yeah. land? That's the real issue. Exactly. At, at that size. Jimmy Lynham is with me. Um, Coach, you, you had uh, Nurse yesterday, and, and I'm not sure if you heard him talk about Maxie, but when he did, he said, you know, we try to push him away from the basket. And he hits that little floater. We try to push him back even further, and he, you know, he just keeps expanding. So you talked about calling him a star. What would you like to see expand? Because I feel like everybody thinks that's the guy in-house that has to make the biggest jump. Because of his age and because of his skill set, what would you like to see him add to his game? Yeah, I'd like to see him play with the ball a bit more. And, and I'm not, uh, like, trying to uh, be cute with respect to James Harden uh, if, in fact, James is coming back. But Harden is a good enough player. These the star guys, Mike, they're very, very adaptable. And let's just make it up and say that Harden, when he's on the court, that we know he has the ball in his hands a lot. Let's say 80% of the time he's out there, the ball's in his hands. Well, I got news for you. If I came up and I said, James, I need you to buy in, my man, because we're trying to win this whole thing. And we think, meaning management, the coaching staff, that we're going to be better as a team if, in fact, Maxie can handle the ball a bit more. We'd like Maxie to run a little bit more, or maybe to a lot more pick and roll, where you'll be the recipient of some of his passes. Well, Harden bought in this year, as you know, Mike. He totally changed his game to becoming a facilitator to help Embiid get to the top. He got to the top to the point he was MVP in the league. Yeah. So I think if Harden is here and you want Maxie to handle the ball and run a bit more pick and roll type action, I think Harden will buy in just like he put in last year. Uh, you mentioned James Harden, Coates. Uh I know this is not a really fair question for you to answer for Nick Nurse, but if you're Nick Nurse, do you want to coach the Philadelphia 76ers with James Harden here, or would you rather coach the Philadelphia 76ers without James Harden? Yeah, that's, again, that's, I think that is the crucial question. It's certainly the, the biggest question. The problem, Mike, without getting into all the, um, the machinations of the cap, you know, Harden with his salary, if he leaves, you know, you can't, you're not going to be able to replace James Harden with a player who makes, let's say, 35 to $40 million. Because the Sixers are over the cap. So the, the, the amount of money they're going to have to replace Harden is going to be drastically lower than what Harden makes or would make were he here. So that, that's a big consideration. But for me, the bottom line, if James Harden is coming back for me, if I owned this team, mm -hmm. I would say to manage Daryl Morey and I would say to Nick Nurse, James is coming back. I said it's got to be with a, with a shake the head yes from both you guys that you think 
we can win a championship with James Harden in one of these next two years. Right. That's bottom line for me. Uh, yeah, and that's a tough one. I mean, because obviously James, look, he a was a, one. He, and, and he won them basically two games by himself, and he was a part of the reason why without, they won a third game, right? Okay, what? Well, without question, but here's I'm going to be a little bit of a wise guy. Sure. I would say this to James, if you were sitting with me in the car right now, James, I'm going to repeat what Mike just said. You were, you flat out won us two. You were as good as I've seen an offensive play, and I mean it. An offensive player play in the playoffs in two of the seven games. In the third one we won, you were very, very good. You ready, James? Three out of seven is not good enough if I own the team. Yeah. No, a thousand percent agree with that. Yeah. We need four, Mike. We need four. <laughs> and with the caveat to add to what you said, Coach, is I've seen him play other good games except for when I needed those, when those games got more important. It's coincidentally seems as when he has not played his best. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I haven't seen all those games over the course of his career, but like we can refer or point to game six and game seven. They were yeah. two of his real, and they weren't just like, Oh, I didn't have a real good game. No, they were pleased. Feast and famine compared to, let's say, game one when he, he didn't have him beat. He, he beat the Celtics on the road by himself. He was phenomenal. Well, he was the, I hate to say it, all coins have flip sides. Sometimes <laughs> players, I tell them, they don't like to hear that. My man, here's the coin. It's got a flip side. Well, the flip side in game six, no good. Yeah, uh, I, I like that reference there. Um, Joel Embiid, obviously big. James Harden decision. Maxi taking another step. Um, the other day, Nurse said why he picked this team, and he pointed. He said the two guys next to me. Now, I don't know if that's a cookie-cutter answer because they're sitting there, or does that indicate – that he believes that this team is going to have a different look, that I trust that this Maury has got something up his sleeve, and that's why I like this job because, Coach, he could have coached Kevin Durant if he wanted to. Yeah, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, I know the world. I love Kevin Durant. Uh, you know, knew him as a young guy all the way back, you know, before he was drafted. But uh, that that's no automatic uh, you know, and I love Booker. Booker's one of the best young talents in the league. Uh, he could have coached Giannis too. A, he he could have coached Giannis too, reportedly. Okay, but here, let me let me just point out one thing to you. Yeah, were and I think Nick probably was involved in all three of those jobs. Whether he actually had his pick, I can't say. But I will tell you this: only one of those three teams has a chance to win the championship. I shouldn't say a chance. Only one of them will, at best, be champ next year. So two guys who are going to take those other two jobs will fail. Follow me? Only one can win it. Yeah. And you, just the fact that you bring it up, and rightly so, the aspirations in every one of those cities is we have a team that can win the NBA title. And Philly feels the same way, rightly so. So I think when Nurse says there's three reasons he took this job, number one, the first thing you look at as a coach is the roster. Number two, the fellow who's going to be getting you the talent, you have to have a working relationship with him. Maury and Nurse have worked together all the way back when Maury was in Houston and Nurse became a G League coach. And he has to have confidence in ownership that they're ready 
when push comes to shove, just spend what it takes. Can't be worried about as you know, as a coach, dude. I don't want to hear about luxury tax. We need this guy. Yeah. This will get us over the top. Nurse has confidence in management and ownership that that will be done. I like it. Uh, great conversation. Um, you know, there was a lot of options. Championship coaches, great pedigrees. Wildwood's Frank Vogel, by the way, just got hired in Phoenix. So he goes from LeBron James to Kevin Durant. You had Monty Williams. He went to Detroit. Um, and Philadelphia goes with Nick Nurse. I don't know that you had a favorite. I don't know if you had a guy that you thought was the right pick. Uh, but ultimately, um, this team made the decision that Nick Nurse, it seemed like, was their top choice, obviously. I don't know that anybody uh, turned them down or that they tried to get anything, but it looks like they got their guy, right? This was the guy they they yeah. wanted? Yes, I, th- I think that's accurate. I do. I think they were interested in a number of people, a number of really good people. Obviously, Frank Vogel, Monty Williams, uh, you know, these guys, they have something I never got. They they have championships. Budenholzer, too. They Budenholzer. don't come, you know, all that readily down the road. So when somebody has a pedigree like that and you, you like his body of work and they're quality people and they have good – when you they, they vet these people so strongly, Mike. Yeah. They talk to a lot of players who played for these guys. So, yeah, I think Nurse was the guy they handpicked. Uh, he was their choice and good for them that they got him. And I, I just – I'll second that. I think it's a terrific choice. Yeah. You know Frank at all, Vogel? I do, yes. Yeah, uh, good to see and him I land. I think he's an excellent coach. Yeah, I mean, great to see him land. I mean, you go from LeBron to Durant, and you got uh, he got to the finals. In you know, uh, with with Indiana, he made those Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, he's had a great run. Good to see him land on his feet. And of course, he got hired today, uh, Frank Vogel in Phoenix with the Suns. Coach Jimmy Lynam is going to go hit the golf course. I don't want to hold you anymore. I know uh, the sun is going down, so get as many holes in as you can, buddy. All right, uh, Mike. Good talking as always, my friend. Yeah, man. Jim Lynham, the uh, former Sixers coach and, of course, Sixers pre- and post-game live. Great perspective on the coach uh, and the situation here in Philadelphia. Nick Nurse, of course, introduced yesterday to the media. You know, I talked about five things in that conversation with Nurse that really stood out. Nurse, you know, what did um, Fred Van Vliet say? You know, he's an interesting guy or he's eccentric or, or whatever it is. And you know, nurse kind of laughed and somebody asked him like, you know, what do you like to do um, in your, you know, your free time or whatever, you know, I like to play music and sounds like the kind of guy that I would like to hang out with, honestly, like he would probably enjoy happy hour Friday. We're going to try to do our best. I, I did try to talk to the Sixers yesterday about getting nurse on. Understandably, he had a very busy day, but I do want to try to get nurse on because I, I definitely think there's uh, a lot to the guy in terms of just a basketball guy. You know, he's from Iowa. I don't think we think of Iowa as a basketball hotbed, but it's a great basketball state. Van, Fred Van Vliet had mentioned on the podcast, you know, that the Sixers, um, that Nurse will give them a breath of fresh air. I'm really interested to see what that means, you know, like how different this team will look. Because let's ask this question. You had Brett Brown. Most people didn't like Brett. I didn't have a problem with Brett. They brought in Doc Rivers. People thought that Doc was going to be a difference maker because he was a championship coach, former player. Did the team look all that different with Doc than it did Brett Brown? Brett, you know, a lot of DHOs, dribble handoffs, top of the key. Um, But 
I think Nick Nurse's offense, and look, they were not great in the half court this year in top Toronto. It's one of the reasons why he's not there anymore. They just weren't a great half court team. Switchability on defense. They don't have that great athletic ability on this team. I want to ask Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers. He asked an interesting question yesterday to Nick Nurse. He'll comment further on that coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live. And we talk to Liberty Ballers, Sixers writer, editor, Paul Hudrick, next on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Well, you just heard Coach Jimmy Lynam's take on the impact of the coach and what he's looking for from Nick Nurse. I want to talk to my guy, Paul Hudrick, who I thought asked a really smart question yesterday in the press conference. Sorry, i got to go back to the stream here. We are uh, live at the 40th annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic, Centered in Golf Club. We've been here all day. Beautiful day out here. And it's presented by Woodruff Energy, Pitts Grove, New Jersey. Ranch Hope, the mission is to be a leader in transforming the lives of children, youth, and families powered by Christ-centered love and compassion through an array of community-based services. They offer a lot of athletic opportunities for young children between the ages of 12 and 18. They give them opportunities to play basketball, football, baseball out on the ranch, and it's just been a fun day here today. In fact, it's Happy Hour Friday, and Farmers and Bankers Brewery Brought me a couple of uh, cold beers, which I'm happy about. And uh, they brought me a beer called Duva. Where's my car? So that's what I'm having on having on Happy Hour Friday. As part of Happy Hour Friday today, if you text in your Happy Hour Friday beverage of choice today, give me a good suggestion for the weekend. And if you do, we're going to pick one winner at the end of the show to hook them up with a hook and iron golf simulator. And uh, we'll give you the details on that at the end of the show today. But uh, just send in a text. Give me a beverage of choice. You know, guys, I'm always looking for something new to go find. Give me a nice New England hazy IPA on this Friday. And I know Paul Hudrick could probably use one at 530 uh, on a Friday night. What's up, buddy? <laughs> That sounds fantastic, actually. What was the beer you had there? That sounded pretty good. Uh, it is called Duva Where's My Car. It's a you know obviously a uh, spinoff of Dude Where's My Car. The maker of the beer, the brewer, is a gentleman by the name of Michael Duva. Duva Where's My Car. It's a hazy IPA, 5.3, 35 IBUs, right up my alley there. They gave me a, a four-pack of that. And then they brought me a four-pack that had a couple of other varieties in there. But I'm a New England hazy guy. I am as well. Big time. Actually, I'm wearing my Tonewood Brewing hat. Oh, the that's, Tonewood. Uh, that's spot Somebody the, hit yeah. me up with the Tonewood yeah. Fuego a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and Fuego's that beer, my Yeah, Fuego is in my fridge. At, they also at have, they have a, a, a version called Mas Fuego. Which is uh, wait? So the Mas Fuego is just, is a double IPA version of that, and then they have uh, a double dry hop version of regular Fuego. Both are uh, fantastic as well. I like it. So Hudrick knows his brews. He's <laughs> in on Happy Hour Friday. We don't normally have Hudrick on yeah. Happy Hour Friday. See Happy Hour Friday, True. very uh, beer centric here, buddy. 
Uh, we didn't have him on yesterday because he was in the Nick Nurse press conference. Uh, you asked him a question that I thought was was very interesting regarding you know defense, offense, and, and trying to get the most out of them. What did you take from the answer that he gave you and uh, how this team might look on both sides of the floor? Yeah, I, I I think the biggest thing overall, my biggest takeaway is just this is a guy who, and we know this from his time in Toronto even, this is a guy who's not afraid to experiment. This is a guy who's not afraid to do things a little differently. And uh, on top of that, he wants to do things that will get – like work for the opponent he also wants to tailor things to his players as well and I think it's melding those types to the Boston Celtics yeah we might have to try to get Paul on the phone or or reset him here we're having a little bit of a bad connection uh, here uh, as, as Paul was kind of breaking up on us a little bit. Maybe, Josh, if you can get him on the phone. Uh, we we do use the video um, so that we can see each other, you know, the guests and I. And sometimes if there's a bad video connection, uh, you know, we're on an Internet. So we're on remote today. Either my Internet or his Internet might not be jiving right now. So we'll see if we can get Paul on the phone so that we can have a little cleaner conversation. But we do look at each other through a video platform so that we can kind of see each other's reactions and kind of how we, you know, if I see a question and I can see how he answers, the video portion does help with that. Um, So Paul was in the video. We had to pop him out of the video. We'll see if we can get him on the phone there. But Paul asked him a question yesterday kind of regarding – his defensive philosophies and his offensive philosophies and how he kind of wants to mesh them together with the team that he has here. And, I, you know, I, I definitely, Paul, as you can kind of more uh, extrapolate a little bit more on the question that you asked, Coach, uh, yesterday at the presser. Yeah, so uh, just, uh, again, I think the biggest takeaway is just the, the the experimentation and kind of the flexibility that I believe Nurse will have, whereas I think with Doc Rivers, that was probably his biggest, you know, the biggest criticism is that he was really rigid. He, he had a way of doing things. He had a way that he thought would work. Uh, that's not to say he didn't tailor things to guys or that he didn't, you know, do, do certain things that he thought worked well for players. But I think with Nurse, what you're going to see is, you know, okay, the, let's say James Harden is back and, and, you know, Joel Embiid and that pick and roll, and that's their that's the bread and butter. That's what they're going to go to. Well, some teams are going to do some things to take that away. They're going to take away the looks you want. They're going to take away the things you want. What is the counter? And I think Nick Nurse is a guy who thinks about the counter to that, and then he thinks about the counter of the counter. And you know what I mean? I think he is the type of guy who I think is five steps ahead a lot of times of these other coaches. And I think that's where he's so good is that he he's thinking ahead. He's thinking about what you know what that look is going to do and what the other team is going to do, and then you know kind of reacting to the reaction. And um, and then I also think just again you know the experimentation of taking chances of doing things that. Maybe we haven't seen a coach do what Joel Embiid in the past that he's going to try to do. Um, you know, we, we talked. He talked about about the idea of him being more of a facilitator at times, and I think there's something there where I think you know Joel has gotten so much better over the last few seasons at, at, at seeing the floor, recognizing the double teams, and, and kind of knowing where things coming from. And I thought too, uh, you know, he was asked a question about Tyrese Maxey, and I, I loved his answer there. He said, "You know what? I think with Tyrese." He needs to be more of a playmaker. He needs to make more reads. We need to get him more in the pick and roll. And I think that's big too, Mike, is 
recognizing, okay, this isn't Tyrese Maxey's strength, but if we want Tyrese Maxey to get to the next level and become that all-star player, which would in turn take us to the next level, we're going to have to put him in situations that maybe aren't his strengths, but things that can make him better um, and that, and then down the line can make the rest of the team better. Yeah, Paul Hedrick, Liberty Ballers. So yeah, the Maxi stuff, I thought, you know, I loved how he said, look, we tried to do this. He shot from here. We tried to push him out further. He made that shot. We tried, you know, and if there's another evolution in there, we'll see what he does there. Um, I'm interested to get your perspective on that. I know he was pressed about Harden yesterday, and that seems to be the, you know, the conversation is that he got pressed on Harden. But in your heart of hearts, you know, he said, yeah, James's decision, I'd be very happy if he came back. But. Do you think that Nick Nurse rather coached this team with James Harden or without him? I would say with, only because he came here to try to win a championship. And look, I understand why a lot of fans really don't want James Harden back. Uh, That game seven was ugly. Uh, But the reality is the best path to, to getting back to where you were, which was on the doorstep, which was, you know, five minutes away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals and facing the Miami Heat and hosting game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, you were five minutes away from doing that. Um, I still think the best path to getting back there is to bring back James Harden and to hope that Nick Nurse does what we talked about and creates those advantages, those things on the margins, those little things that gets you over those five minutes and wins it and then, you know, possibly gets you eight more wins. So, I think Nurse understands that to get there, James Harden probably provides that best pick. Now, I do think that that's not – I think with that said, I believe his answer that he didn't come here thinking like, oh, well, if we can't sign James Harden, then we're done. Then we have no chance. Like, there are other avenues, there are other things that Daryl Morey can do to to not, you know, not a one-for-one replacement of James Harden, but to to fill in and and get a, a, you know – a decent player in here that Nick Nurse can work with and 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 win. So I, I do think I don't think it was lip service from Nick Nurse. I do think he would love to have James Harden back, but I also think he's prepared that if James Harden isn't back, he's going to try to make a really competitive team with whatever Darren Moore gives him. Uh, and then I would question further on that, you know, because okay, let's say um, he wants to coach James Harden, he doesn't have that power. James Harden does at this point anyway. Um, his answer now had been reported that you know one of the reasons he wanted to come here, Joel Embiid. No, no crap, of course you want to coach Joel Embiid, yeah. the MVP of the league. But he said these two guys right here he points at the owner, Josh Harris, and the GM, Daryl Morey. And I asked this question: He could have picked Milwaukee, he could have picked Phoenix, who both have superstars that he could have coached. So if you say I want to coach Joel Embiid, I'm sure if he was sitting in Milwaukee, why are you here? Well, I wanted to coach Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, why are you in Phoenix? I wanted to coach Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. So, yeah, they all have great players. But he said the owner and the GM. And I wonder, and we don't know this, this would be pure speculation, but does Daryl Morey sell Nick Nurse on this is the place because I'm going to make this, I'm going to fix this roster? So do you think that that maybe was something that Morey could, you know, in your mind you say, man, he had to have sold Nurse that that I have a trick up my sleeve this offseason? Well, I don't necessarily think it was the sell of I have a trick up my sleeve as much as, you know, you've seen my career, you see that I'm aggressive and that I'm going to make things, that I'm going to do things to try to build 
the best team possible. And I know Darren Moore has never won a championship, but man, he's built some teams that have been pretty, pretty damn good and that have come pretty close, um, including, quite frankly, the Sixers roster. I think it's you know they were a lot closer to that than I think people, you know, want to you know. Again, it's a sour taste of that Game Seven in people's mouths. But this team wasn't that far off, you know. I mean, a, a couple things go their way, and they're they're playing in the Eastern Conference. So I think more. Darren Morey sold Nick Nurse on, you know you know me, because they have a relationship, right? I mean, they worked together before in Houston. You know me. You know that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be creative. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to try to do everything I can to get you the best team possible. So I think that's more where the sell is. And, of course, yeah, like you said, Joel Embiid, who, that's a no-brainer. If you're a head coach, that's, that's a heck of a thing to start off with. Even Tyrese Maxey, a 22-year-old kid who – might become an all-star level player who is a tireless worker, who is extremely coachable. That's exactly the kind of guy that every coach would love to have. So I don't think necessarily that he sold them on, you know, I have this up my sleeve. I can do this. You know, I'm going to try to get James Harden back, but if I can't, I can do this, that, and the other thing. I think it was more, you've seen what I've done in other places. You've seen what I did to get James Harden here in the past. You've seen what I did to flip this roster, to flip Al Horford, and Josh Richardson and turn this team into a one seed. You've seen the moves I've made in the past, so trust me to do it again. And I think with ownership, it is, look, you've seen that, like, respectfully with Josh Harris. Look, uh, the guy hasn't done everything right, but he is also a guy who's been aggressive about winning. I mean, they let go of a coach who had two years and, I, you know, $20 million left on his contract because they didn't believe he was the right guy, and they're still paying him yeah. in addition to what they're paying her. So, it is. I think the big sell is we are an aggressive front office, we are an aggressive ownership, and we want to win. Um, I'll leave you with this. The question, and, and you know, noticed that he said, yeah, I've been asked about this a few times, which is you haven't been able to get out of the second round. He didn't really have a definitive reason why. His was, look, this team could be playing tonight. It's a ball bounce here. It's the game we played against you guys. You know, it bounces off the rim, yada, yada. Um, he said, I don't vibrate on the frequency of the past, you know? So I guess his answer really is, I, I don't have a reason why this team hasn't been able to get out of the second round, but the team is essentially saying for the second time. Now we had a coach couldn't get out of the second round, Brett Brown. We fired him. We brought in a coach couldn't get out of the second round. We fired him. So the team is saying the coach is the reason. So if you're that close and the coach doesn't have a reason and they keep firing the coach, does it make sense then to give him the same players if they think the coach will make that big of a difference? Well, it goes back to what I said before. I mean, you know, they had – I can't remember the lead off the top of my head, but, I mean, they had like a five-point lead with, with five minutes to go in game six at home with a chance to close out the Boston Celtics. That should have been a win. That's a game they should have won. Now um, – Players miss shots. That's a reality. I mean, James Harden missed shots. Anthony Melton missed shots. B.J. Tucker missed shots. Um, but I, I think what you're hoping is Nick Nurse is the guy who can give you the edge. And Daryl Morey said something at, at his last press conference that I thought it, it's kind of stuck with me. And he said, to get past the second round, we need to find a way to be one point better in one more game than our opponent because we were there. We, we had three wins. And I think that's the deal. I think what they believe is, Nick Nurse can give – if they bring back the same team, Nick Nurse can give them that advantage to be one point better in one more game in the second round. And then beyond, you hope – you know, again, it's an advantage that he can be better than the coach in the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. So 
I, I get what the, the, the idea is. They believe they have enough talent, which I think you could argue they do. They, they, they have a lot of talent. Um, that's not to say that Darren Moore is not going to do things to make this team better. Even if James Harden's back, they're going to do some things around the margins. You know, they have a bunch of free agents that are going to come up. They, they don't have a ton of flexibility, but they'll have some stuff they can do. They have the, you know, the taxpayer except, or the, you know, excuse me, the, if they resign Harden, I think it would be the taxpayer exception, which they'll be able to use to sign another player in that regard. You'll have veteran players who will want to come here on the minimum with a chance to win a championship. So, uh, you know, it, it, they, I think what Daryl Morey's thinking is we were very, very close. So maybe let's see if we have this guy, Nick Nurse, who was the coach of the year in 2020, who a lot of people regarded as the best coach in the NBA at one point. Hmm. If we could bring this guy in here and he can give us those little advantages on the edges uh, that we have enough talent that with that combined, we can get over that second round hump and hopefully beyond that. Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers, you know, it's funny you say the coach of the year. It's almost like a death sentence for coaches in this league yeah. anymore, right? You get named coach of the really year, is. you're gone. But, <laughs> but Nurse is a guy who, I mean, people were saying after that that season, like the Lakers were hot on him. Like this guy might be the best coach in the NBA. Like we're, people were trying to poach him from Toronto before he ultimately left. Yep. 53 and 15 or something like that, that next year after Kawhi Leonard. Right. I mean, they jumped out. Really yeah, is. they jumped out to a great uh, start that year. Underman. It'll it'll be very interesting to see. You know um, how you know because I was saying before, Brett was here and then Doc came here. Did the team? I know Brett did a lot of dribble handoff, a lot of top. You know, a lot of ball movement at the top of the key. And I think a lot of that was just to kind of say we passed the ball more than anybody else. Uh, but a lot of DHO stuff because they had JJ Redick. Um, but both Brett and Doc, you know, like to drop Joel a lot defensively. Aesthetically, they didn't look all that different. The Joel, uh, I mean, the, the Doc teams and the Brett teams. Do you think aesthetically that this team may have a different appearance? I think it will. Uh, I, I, and look, I, I think. Uh, and by the way, do you, do you agree with me on the Doc and Brett? Yeah. I mean, the big thing I would say offensively, though, is with Joel, um, you know, obviously him going out to the elbow and playing in the nail area. That's that's more of a Doc Rivers thing and credit the Doc for doing that because it did help. But I think there I think there's gotta be a way to meld all of these styles together because Joel B is still a guy who can play in the post and dominate in the post. So there's gotta be a way where you can get him some post touches from time to time. And again I think this is these are the things that Nick Nurse can do. What are the creative ways where you can get Joel and be the ball in the post and have him play there? What are the ways you can get him the ball at the nail the nail and have other guys play off that. And, yeah, I think you can run, like, maybe you can run some DHO stuff with Tyrese Maxey because he's a guy who can do some of the things that J.J. Redick and Seth Curry did, but then he also adds that speed element to that. So um, I think it's just a way, it's just, again, what, what I said off the top is just Nick Nurse is creative and experiment, he's experimental. He's going to figure out little ways and little things to get the most out of guys and, and to, to exploit strengths. But then also to get make guys better, um, you know, do things where, you know, maybe it's a thing a guy hasn't done in the past that's maybe uncomfortable, but he sees a way where, hey, with your skill set, this can work. I, I think these things can work. So I think from that, from an aesthetic standpoint, they're going to look different because I think they're going to do different stuff. It's not just going to be, okay, James Harden and Joel Embiid in the pick and roll. It's yeah. going to be, you know, them doing different things and trying different things to make it work. And I think you look at the Marcus Soule era of the Raptors under Nick Nurse. And I think defensively, you're going to see a little bit of that because 
Marcus Solon and Joel Embiid are both, you know, similar. Joel Embiid can do a little bit more of the switching stuff that Marcus Solon maybe couldn't. But yeah, more of that drop coverage where you're really all in on protecting the rim and then closing out on shooters. So, I mean, I'm really curious to see what it looks like, especially if James Harden is back because some things are going to have to change from that scheme and things are going to look a little bit different. But yeah, I I imagine just from there's being such an outside the box thinker that this team is going to look so much different than it has the last under the last two regimes. All right, Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, Nick Nurse, new head coach, and uh, we'll see what happens next. James Harden uh, will obviously be the next big offseason ticket item for Philadelphia. Paul, enjoy happy hour Friday, my friend. You as well, sir. (laughs) You know we will. It's the Sports Pass Live, and we are going to wrap things up from the 40th annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic here at Centered in Golf Club when we come back here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, that music, you know what it means. It's time for me to get out of here. Uh, I want to thank the people at Farmers and Bankers, first off, on a happy hour Friday. Um, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Duva, where's my car? But I want to thank uh, the 40th annual Ranch Hope Golf Classic here at Centered in Golf Club, presented by Woodruff Energy, for having me out here. It's a great event. Uh, first time I got a chance to see it up close and personal. 160 golfers today, right, hit the greens. And many people came over to say hello, shook hands, kissed babies, said the whole nine, but met a lot of great people. Uh, I want to thank uh, John, who was on with us earlier, to gave us the breakdown. John Salvatore from uh, Ranch Hope. And ranchhope.org, if you want to donate. They're doing um, the event today to try to raise money to add lights to the football field so that these children who have dealt with trauma in their life get out there they do like flag football leagues they like to do stuff where they can do it under the lights you know they can expand their offerings for these children so ranchhope.org is the website if you want to donate josh has game night coming up next we've got the nba finals on sunday um what else do we got phillies this weekend uh, gave you the lineup earlier today. Schwarber's back in the leadoff spot if you want to drive off the road. <laughs> I actually don't mind Schwarber batting leadoff tonight. they got to do something to get him going. If this is going to be something that will let him see more pitches, have somebody hitting behind him that teams have to throw pitches to, so be it. Uh, make sure you listen. We will be doing a Happy Hour Friday special show next week. We will be at the... LPGA. So from Centered in Golf Club to the LPGA ShopRite Classic, which is on this weekend coming up. Not this weekend. Next weekend coming up. All right. Uh, Josh Henning produced my show. Uh, Danny Ryan was my on-site producer. He'll be producing uh, the locker room um, Sunday. Correct? Sunday. Josh is in on Saturday. Josh has you coming up next. I'm Mike Gill, and I am out of here. Happy hour Friday to all of you.